0: i was reading an article in vanity fair with colbert not too long ago yeah. and he had told and he had, uh, mentioned your name and basically said that you had taught him to love the bomb yeah when did you learn to love it
1: uh because i did so many shows i mean uh, when you start off you're not very good or you just don't know sure. if you're good so i started doing live shows almost immediately mm-hmm. and a lot of them were really terrible and very painful because mm-hmm. of it. and uh i just learned to go on and People start laughing at your pain, right? They, they, right, you tell them the shit that's going on with you, that's what they start laughing at. Sure. Well, that's what I learned, and that's what I tried to pass on to him because that group they're brand new. Farley was in that group, and uh, Paul Danello, Amy, Amy really wow. great kids. And uh, a couple of them were trying to perform, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to make the audience laugh, right? Yeah, and and my experience was they need to land with you, the individual, in order to go on the journey with you. This Tokyo Tonight. Tonight. Hello. Hello. Hey. So my now my camera's so low, I'm getting to the top of the back of the computer. <laughs> I forgot to mention, Jeff is coming from a,
0: a C SPAN video uh, room. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is,
2: so just, uh, we're glad you could do it. <laughs> um, how are you guys? From a cabin
1: that we don't know where it is, <laughs> from an undisclosed location. <laughs> it's underground. It's one of those. Uh,
2: yeah. Um, he may have to flee at any minute, so don't
0: <laughs> it is it does look like a scene where like somebody's gonna bust through the door
1: on the left hand yep. side. Yep. Could happen. Him. You know, I uh, interviewed Dean Haglin in this garage. Really? Yeah, from X Files. Wow, how was that? Yeah. Uh it was fun. I mean, I know him he improvises sometimes, but he uh I don't know what happened, how I got him in here, but uh uh I, i'm i'm uh poor man's mark uh with mark maron mark I, Marin I, out of the garage Yeah, i never distribute the videos i just give them to back to the comedians so oh wow oh my that's, god you got to put those out there that's great I have, uh, rick overton and uh love Hagen. rick yeah
0: nice met rick with you guys too that was one of the cool things about when i got so when i moved out to la and i was living there for a couple of years uh, you guys, were one of the first people who were really nice to me and let me come out and do stand up at fanatic salon and then let me, uh, sit in the back and just watch you guys improvise and put on shows and stuff. And then Jane also helped me out with auditions. Um, <laughs> so I feel like I was like, I, I made you guys adopt me for a bit there. And then I got to meet some amazing, uh, people there through you guys too. So thank you.
1: Well, that was yeah.
0: Yeah. And that was another thing too, is I didn't realize like a lot of the people that I was fans of, like writers, actors, stuff like that, uh, all loved improv. Like that was a cool thing to see. Um, and that you guys just went back to the, you know, Fanatic Salon or whatever, just to do
1: it for whoever wanted to show up. Yeah. Uh, it was, um, we've done that before. Jane has, I don't know, between us, we probably started about eight or nine theaters. Right.
2: Yeah. I've been known as the Johnny Appleseed of comedy clubs. Right. (laughs) This is for me, number five, I think. Mm -hmm. Wow. And three of them were with Jeff, right? Yeah. Three of them. So, yeah.
1: And Zanies, I was, our group was the first act at Zanies. That's what it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's a beautiful club. Original Comedy Rangers.
0: Do you remember the first show you did there?
1: Uh, kind of, I don't know it, but it, you know it used to be a strip joint. That's why that stage is so high and it's right in front of the window.
0: Oh my God, that makes that oh. now I can that makes total
1: sense to me. When, I, when was I was a teenager, we used to drive by there and watch the silhouette of the dancer.
0: <laughs> oh my God. That's can zany. I just tell
2: you about my first time at Zanie's? Yeah, please. I ran a comedy club called the Chicago Comedy Showcase, and one mm-hmm. of the, uh, we were the opening act of that. And the mm-hmm. guy that, w- w- uh, it was a group of us that ran it, but mostly it was me and this other guy. And he would not let us. I don't get how this worked. Do other clubs, and then he quit. And we went right out to Zanies and played Zanies. And I, <laughs> that door, that thing about the stage being against the front door. Yeah. Then what you did is you walked down the aisle, like you walked down this side thing and around the back to get into the house. And the bar was at the back. And I was standing on stage and this person walked in and it was like, Na- remember the Nancy comics where she sees a dime on the yeah. dotted line. I saw this guy come in from the back. For, I don't and I had like a Nancy comic connection to this <laughs> back of this guy's head. it was Jeff. That's how we met.
0: Oh my God. That's great.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then
0: that's, and you guys became friends after that and then just started dating immediately.
2: Uh, it was an on again, off again thing for a while, but we kind wow. of started dating immediately. Sort of that's kind nice. of nice.
0: Yeah. That's a kind of a rarity in a comedy. I feel like not like I, I, there's only a few or handful of like, uh, Comedians, husband and wife, that like you know what I mean. Like there's mm-hmm. a few that I can name off the
1: top of my head.
2: Deb and Dan.
1: Yeah. Dan Castellaneta and Deb Lacosta. Yep. But we started off as um, uh, collaborators and mm-hmm. doing scenes at second city. That's always how it starts. Uh, out. Yeah. You know, Jeff was always working goes,
0: there. Yeah. Somebody always goes, "Do you want to come over and write?" And then it's like, "Do they yep. mean write or do they, you know?"
2: <laughs> well, we, that stuff was already going on, but, but uh, we, we, uh, I got, he was already in the tour co at second city when, when we met. And right. then I got hired. We, I got hired shortly after I met him though.
1: Well, but the, the fact is uh, we played the same comedy clubs before mm-hmm. we met. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in the same reviews as far as like when they reviewed comedy yeah Uh, so that that stuff was it's weird because i'll i'll go back and look at an old article and it's like got both of us in it
2: but we hadn't met so it was like always you know uh yeah like one article it was the three best groups in chicago wow it was about who are the three best improv groups in chicago and it was the group i was in the group jeff was in and this other group we never met
0: how would you compare the the way improv and stuff is done kind of now, like the classes, the groups, and stuff like that, to when you guys started? Is there a major difference? Because I never took an improv class. I took a stand-up uh, class Well, I started, the major
1: but... difference is there's so many brands now. Right. And they're all basically, I call them improv plantations. <laughs> they decide who you play with, what the right. group is. Uh, our stuff was more finding people of like mind to play with them, building it more like a band than yeah. like a, uh, an improv team. And the idea that anyone would tell you what to do or who you're going to play with would be like, nah, see you later. Yeah. So that- there are only two teachers around, well, maybe more than two, but uh, Joe Forsberg at, at uh, for the Second City and then mm-hmm. Dell. And then uh, – um, yeah. Uh, out in the suburbs, it, where uh, the Kusak brothers come from, it was uh, a Piven. Oh, the okay. Piven were, So Jeremy's dad and mom, right uh, taught as well. Right, right, right. So there wasn't much around. So there was at Second City. There were six spots on the main stage and six spots in the touring company, and there were like uh, forty or fifty improvisers outside of there. And Mm -hmm. so we did the math and we said, no, let's form independent groups. And then you guys
0: went, what was it like? Like, how did you know when you guys were ready to go out on the road and tour?
1: Uh, Because we were killing. Um, (laughs) uh, We were killing. I mean, uh, right away. The group I was in was very, I would say, like Marx Brothers of uh, Improv. Nice. We would basically deconstruct our own act multiple times during a night mm-hmm. and uh, just uh, we had a we had a guy in our our company who was a tech guy i mean but this is old tech right this is like a right. <laughs> tape recorder and and strobe lights and stuff like that right and he would just set up a tape at the back of sylvester's and we had all these tapes that we could grab and uh one night we we're doing a regular game doc mr science or something mm-hmm. And I hit the strobe and I threw in this crazy tape with this insane music. I ran out on stage in a white hood and somebody else came out in a white hood and we killed the people in the scene. I was in the strobe light and then the light uh, came up and the one that guy was playing the kid was crucified up against the wall. And then Mr. Science is still alive. And he said, and that's why you never say the word Illuminati. (laughs) (laughs) So that wasn't a set scene. That was us destroying our set. Right. Great. And so we had that reputation and we're getting, you know, we're touring a lot and uh, at colleges, we worked at Dudley Riggs, uh, ETC. uh, And it's because we didn't know any better. You know, we just, uh, we're yeah. just going to do it no matter what. That's awesome. Which also
2: spilled over into the Second City ETC. Yeah. Right. I actually didn't tour when I was uh, in in improv just in Chicago because I had my own place. ha <laughs> <laughs> And the comedy showcase. So, you know, everybody came through our place and we were the opening act until we played Zanies at one time. But yeah, we, uh, Second City. You there were six actors on stage and you were in the turco and you just kind of waited for somebody from main stage to die. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't die. And uh and then with our particular company, we just felt like super passed over. Like every every time they were trying to fill a slot, they would like bring in people from New York and all and you're like, well, you could see me any Monday, because we do the Monday show at Second City. Right. And so the practical theater had the space in the back that Paul Sills had built Mm -hmm. and they were doing shows and we said, how come we can't do shows back there? And they let us do shows back there. And then it's in the meantime,
1: Julia Louis-Dreyfus and all those guys got hired by SNL. Right. Yeah, so nice we ended time. up, yeah.
2: but Second City didn't want us to open another space back there. And so Joyce Sloan would tell us when Bernie was out of town because he did uh, archaeological digs. Mm-hmm. And we, what we did is we went, they said, oh, you can do a, what you, the Tourco show is a best of show of right. sketches. And you do a couple games in there, but it's not improv. And so we, uh, we we slowly took out all the second city old scenes and replaced them with our own scenes and then we opened a show and we got in big trouble for it um but and we had a
1: great review so they yeah, of- and
2: then we did it again and we got
1: <laughs> nice
0: we did, the it rev- twice. did the review save you guys oh yeah oh uh, yeah the,
1: the yeah once said you could go through the entire history of second city and not find a company this good. Wow. That was the opening line, uh, the headline in the Tribune. Wow. And the first one was cows was cows on ice. And that one just had great weird scenes in them. And uh, mm-hmm. including a couple comedy ranger pieces that we did but from uh, that we did at Zanies and other places but uh Sweet. it was just three of them really. But we uh, they were they were topical but bizarre scenes. Mhm. So uh, we did a one called Toxic Waste, and it was uh, it was me and Jane. We were doing it in the sets in Turco, and it was, you know, it was just it was about pollution basically. And we talked to a friend of Jane's who was a, a, worked for the Environmental Protection Agency. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, we're doing this scene, blah blah. What's going on? And she said, nothing. She said, we're just going to have to adapt to it wow and that switched the focus of our scene and we made it the made it a toxic waste dumping campground right like an amusement park with these very happy people (laughs) that were mutating and uh and uh and getting uh you know just surrendering to uh to the events and uh, that we did one called gi joe Uh and that came from me walking into a store we had a, a, a couple kids at the time or one kid anyway and seeing that they're selling G.I. Joe's again, which they had stopped at, you know, after Vietnam for a long time. Yeah. And so I went, this is a trend. And it was just before Reagan went to Grenada, mm-hmm. And I, to me, I saw it as a signal that they were reindoctrinating us. Wow. So we did this scene with an old G.I. Joe and a new G.I. Joe discovering each other on the battlefield. My guy had uh, no eye, one leg missing, in a poncho. Vietnam era thing and his stuff, the abuse he was getting was like a kid taking a match and hairspray and spraying him and
2: napalm.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or poking his eye out with the hot tip of a big pen. Right. And, and the new GI Joe had all the gear already. So right. he's just gung ho about going. And there was a really nice uh, uh, scene about just upcoming events that were coming, you know, it's a little prophetic but very mm. hilarious at the same time. So we did a lot of stuff that was stylized that way, where it was entertaining, whether you cared about the topic or not, if whether you cared about the politics of it or not, we were, it was entertaining even without that. Yeah. And that became the way that we approached everything pretty much. So a couple of things, though, too. That's crazy
0: that you did the environmental stuff and the person that you spoke to literally gave you the same advice that they're telling us now, which is we're screwed. We're just going to have to adapt.
1: That was 1983.
0: Yeah, that blows me away because that's we had a theoretical physicist on the show who just wrote a book called The Physics of uh, Climate Change and Mm -hmm. basically saying, yeah, we're just going to have to adapt to it. That's it. um yeah. and some people are going to make it and some people aren't
1: yeah and the earth is going to be fine
0: <laughs> it's just humans are fucked.
1: yeah it's like um, uh, carlin who's you know saying that the earth will shake us off like fleas yeah 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 exactly yeah, yeah i know it's
0: crazy mm-hmm. um were you guys uh is it because of your you know were you actively political and and um or just um kind of you know had that kind of mindset about it at the time which incorporated into your comedy or was it just the times in general? Like it was, for
2: for me it was second city itself was that's what you're supposed to do. Right. You were supposed to read the newspaper and figure out what kind of comedy you should do based on what was happening in the world around you. That's, that's the mandate. Right. Mm. And I, I can't think that I really did that all that much before I started working there. Wow. I, I'm a really physical comic. So, you know, I can throw myself around and i like did Pratt Falls and, you know, <laughs> okay. I was
1: a little more active. I was, when I was in the Navy, I would, uh, constantly call lawyers and stuff for other people. I'm just doing Vietnam, uh, mm-hmm. and I had a radio man, so I could do, you know, I had access to stuff. So I was constantly in contact with lawyers and, uh, and uh, getting in trouble uh, doing that stuff. (laughs) It's for me, it's a sense of justice that comes from a childhood kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with my own abuse, but I I can't stand seeing other people. Sure. Absolutely. Um, So, uh, so I was active and, you know, then during that time, you know, you get the, you get a draft pick, you you know, lottery. It's like, what would I win? And uh, it's, uh, You know, I had friends that were in Vietnam, come back, you know, messed up. I know their stories. And uh, it was uh, my brother was an activist. He was uh, during the uh, what's it the uh, 66 election or mm-hmm. it was it 68, 68. He was part of that protest. Uh, wow. And my dad was a cop. So I you know, getting it from all sides. Yeah. yeah. So I was aware politically and I was also uh, uh, I would stand stand up, right? Sure. So. But later on, I actually, like being out and about in demonstrations started later for me. Uh, basically, uh, uh, I guess it was the Iraq war, right? So mm-hmm. where I started going to marches and, and such, so. Nice. Um, yeah, so f- from that end, yeah. I was in the green party for the longest time mm. and then the other party in the Nader. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know. My friends and I were interested in in him back in the day as well. And then we were always just wondering why nothing ever happened. And then cut to, you know, Bernie Sanders, years later, and we're still like, why isn't anything happening? Um, <laughs> but uh, are you guys, did you guys ever feel like a sense of uh, that you were doing something dangerous at the time that maybe the like, Because I know, like, I've spoken with David Steinberg and stuff like that, and he was threatened by Nixon at the time, or, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess for doing his comedy and stuff, but did the improv world feel that kind of pressure, too? No, no. no.
1: no. By the time we were doing it, we were... uh, If you were doing politics in it, we were... Not too many people were doing it in the groups, right? At Second City, we did. But uh, it was... You know, ours is more anarchy, which also has that kind of... Uh, activist bent to it, but it's really more, I don't know what the word is. It's just a. Uh, I just don't
2: think we gave a shit anyway. Like, yeah, right. oh, really? You want to say something about what I just did? Bring it. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I, I just didn't have any compunction about it. I mean, opening the ETC was not easy. It was like a real cat and mouse game of, of doing all that. And nothing could have stopped us. Yeah. Just, we're I was politically it. involved, but I did not take no for an answer. And nice. so you know, to me, if you're working on something and that's your artistic thing that you're doing, it's like then yeah, do that.
1: Don't yeah. right. And our thing was ensemble. So it was like uh the group, right? Yeah, so, you guys had each other's backs. Yeah. Very so,
2: much so. Yeah, Even right. now.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can tell you're still a tight knit group. Uh, the guys that you have coming back. Yeah, and stuff. Who yeah. were your
1: influences when you when you were starting out? Well, for me, I, you know, this is crazy, but as a kid, I wanted to be Alan King. Oh, so, wow. Because uh, he was just oh, number one. I didn't understand what he was talking about because he's talking in Yiddish a lot, right? <laughs> but I was laughing, right? I was right. laughing. And uh, so, uh, him, and Mark's Brothers were. Great, of course. Soupy Sales was a subversive, uh, yeah, uh, television show, and er- Ernie Kovacs, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Their stuff was really—that's the stuff I was attracted to. Nice. And then, uh, as I got into, I loved—I did love Second City. I mean, I did—I was crazy about it. I was just still, um, kind of a historical, kind of yeah. uh, just a lockbox of of who was in second city, meeting them, yeah. uh, uh, working with them, working with Paul Sills, working with, uh, we, I, yeah, I worked with Dell in classes and then mm-hmm. they're just, they're, and they're great players around. I mean, some of the players that, uh, were also in the clubs with us got to second city just a little bit before us. Yeah. And they were resp- uh, very inspiring. Uh, Rob Riley, Danny Breen, all these other guys are not famous, but someone wants to write for television or, or, or uh, uh, SNL and stuff like that. Right. And they were, they were also uh, out there. They were just, uh, um, it wasn't like it would shock the audience. I can see these audiences prepared for that stuff. And mm-hmm. I think they were maybe happy to see something a little wilder than before. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, that's how we were a because we learned, we learned to play in clubs like, uh, comedy clubs. Sure. And that just meant our pace was different. Our sense of time was different. You, you know, you already know how to ride that laugh and when to cut it off and you already have that built in. Yeah. And, uh, we had that by the, even before we got to second city. So, uh, it, it put us a little bit ahead of the people that were coming in into more traditional ways. People are That's taking a little Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Jane, like- what
0: about you? Who were your influences?
2: Looney tunes cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was probably I'm not kidding. I mean, it really was one of my major influences, honestly. Um, nice. and I, and I think that has to do with my, I, I always wanted to recreate what they were doing, you know, with their, Physicalities on stage, like I always wished I could make my eyes go like boop boop, you know, like twice, <laughs> not just right. once but twice. Right. Like, I wanted to, right. I wanted to recreate that kind of stuff. So, so then obviously I gravitated to people like Carol Burnett and 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 I, I've only now that I'm old, I only, I would say I was in my fifties hmm. when I realized that women aren't supposed to do any of that. Really? Uh, yeah, you're not supposed to make faces. Uh you're, you're supposed to keep your face kind of still. And and I'm I don't do that. And I still don't do that. And, and, you and never did. I could never understand why people thought I was such a big weirdo. And it's because I'm a big <laughs> weirdo. That's why. <laughs> like, oh, I see now.
1: But at the same time, Jane put together a company at Second City way before any of these tragedies happened at Second City about. We had a company already that was four men, three women, and Jane was our director as well. Right. So we already had that stuff. We already had uh, uh, integrated companies, not fully integrated, but uh, by we who tried. God there.
2: knows we tried. Yeah. You know, I feel like Jeff and I have talked about this. Sometimes I feel like my personal history there has been erased.
1: And, yeah, really.
2: Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm not sure. I think I'm the first woman director.
1: Wow You're in Chicago, uh, yes.
2: In Chicago, definitely. Yeah. I'm the first woman director. Um, I I think maybe by now there's been another one, but almost nobody. And and I did put together a, a three woman. No, or women. A a four woman, three second city was four men and two women, the end, boom. Mm-hmm. And I had four women and three men. So I had one more person in the cast for one thing. Nice and I had mostly women and at the time the men were like what that's all and i said to them (laughs) don't get crazy you'll you'll get to do more actually right Right? you're playing all all the men now and every man is going to be one of you three and they were happiest pigs and shit i gotta tell you that's (laughs) the show that was supposed to go to la actually because it was such a big hit and, um, well, that's a whole other story of hell, hell on earth, but <laughs> nonetheless, uh, that show was a huge hit. Channel this, and As way of the
1: three men, I was not that person. Oh, you're not that person, I wasn't the person that would uh, say, don't do this, yeah. Oh, know, no, I
2: was not. Why do you think they're
1: releasing you though, or why are they allowed to do that? I'm not, I don't know. Well,
2: I don't, I don't have any control
1: over it, Well, so. no, we're know. gonna fix it. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, but I do know is that, uh, and this is probably my fault. Uh, is that I was somebody who would regularly speak out about people being fired. Mm. I was someone that would regularly go to the front office and embarrass them by presenting, trying to present their logic to the whole theater. Right. Uh, I would, if they, well, even the ETC, they said, don't open a show. We opened a show. Right. Twice they, they
2: said, twice. don't right. open a show. The mm-hmm. second time, Bernie was in a, uh, uh, a How cab on the way back from the airport from his next dig when mm-hmm. we just opened the second show. And and he, he, this is like a, something out of a movie. The review was on the car seat, and he picked it up and reads this another fabulous review of our second show and called on one of his big giant phones and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> said, fire them all.
1: Oh, he said, "Fire Jeff and Jane." Is what wow! Oh,
2: well, I don't know. But I, aren't, isn't that back from the Jeff, Jim, and Jane problem? We were yes, known yeah. as the Jeff, Jim, and Jane problem.
1: Yeah, but I mean, he, he didn't want to like fire to Jimmy. Jimmy's sister was in the main stage company.
0: Oh my God! Yeah. I love that you guys were troublemakers. That really makes me happy.
1: Except we weren't. I mean, I actually, we weren't, but we really <laughs> internally, I was never thinking I'm causing trouble. Mm, I'm, no, I was just thinking, I'm, we're just doing this. This is yeah, what yeah. he does. That's what we do. Right? It, well,
0: Exactly. Yeah. And that's the way I feel like a lot of it winds up going too. Is like you're just trying to do your art or you're just trying to do the right thing and you're just noticing these injustices around you and you're like, yeah. I'm not going to put up with this shit.
1: Yeah. And basically, if there was Second City story, uh, brand story, that they, they someone would call me and ask me what happened and I'd tell them the real story. So I told him the real story because the other producer was telling me exactly what was happening. Right. So when Second City closed in L.A., for instance, the uh, producer blamed it on homeless people okay. in Santa Monica. Right. Right. And I knew the real story. I knew that he had promised his investors, let us entertain you, a return within a year. Right. And we weren't selling out every night in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And the uh, earthquake thing came up. And they were going to have to earthquake the theater, mm-hmm. and uh, it gave him an opportunity to back out of the lease. Wow! And 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 go back go back home. So uh, so yeah, of course I would get in trouble for that because that was the case. They're, they did a thing where they're putting uh, students on stage to do scenes that other people created and try to sell them to Imagine CBS through Imagine. Mm -hmm. I came in and I see all these network people watching these, a scene of Jane's came up on stage. Right. And this this other actor had taken it and made it into a sitcom thing and calling it his own. And I just said, you can't you can't do that. I just stopped the thing and said, you can't do that. And then I went to the Writers Guild to talk to them about it. And I said, so what's the deal with material in Second City? And they said, "Okay, in the contract, they own your material if they do it in a live venue. Wow. They do it on a second show. If they try to transfer it to another media, they have to renegotiate. Okay. So I had them call Andrew and I immediately got fired. So, uh, holy yeah. shit. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah.
2: And I got fired. This is so uh, this is my favorite firing story of all time. Mm-hmm. Talk about not being able to move your face. I got <laughs> fired because I was told, and this is after we were out here, after we'd opened the first show out here and all that. Mm hmm. Uh, we moved our family out here like we here we were. I got fired because they basically said to me, well, we you know, the that the, their formula with the four men and, and uh, two women mm-hmm. was that it was a pretty woman and a character actor. <laughs> and they basically told me, you know, we have our other ugly woman. So, you know, we don't need you, too. Oh, my God. And, uh, you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. really. I mean, they didn't use the that word, right. <laughs> but that's what it was. And they put in a woman with like fake boobs. Uh, she was a mighty Carson art player. This like blonde okay. chick.
1: Okay, and was dating and uh, got fired. She was dating the uh, other producer, the guy. Uh, the, yeah, the, the two producers were Andrew, who was second sitting. and the other guy was a game show producer. Right, and so
2: that was unpleasant. It, right, nice <laughs> so that, yeah.
1: Well, none,
0: Nothing has changed. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, all the faces kind of. Sorted. And
1: I felt like I was protecting Second City, right? Well, was, yeah. Well, what, what their what, reputation there? Boom, and but sure, uh, you know. What was the
0: point where because you guys were you know you're performing, you're touring, you're doing all that kind of stuff, and then you actually wound up teaching as well. Did you guys set out? To, did you guys have that in mind, or is that kind of the improv? You know, communities mindset is okay. You get to a certain level, you're really good. Now you teach it, you pass it down. Is that like how is no, that? Well,
1: not, not exactly. I mean, uh, like for instance, uh, Viola was not a performer. Right. And uh, Dell did more teaching and directing than he did performance, mm-hmm. although he was, I would say, he was a practitioner. Right. Um, at first I started teaching actually through Jane, I think, uh, at her place. Was uh, Jane, were you yeah. the first, were you, you were the first to start teaching? No, she would, she would have me, oh, me come in, okay. teach people and there'd be, you know, there'd be people from a group or something and I would, uh, coach them a little bit. Nice. And then I started teaching, uh, Dell's classes at Donnie DePaulo, took them over and then he was ill. And then I took them over and mm-hmm. I would teach those classes and, uh, and I don't know. I just I became a director, too. And uh, so, yeah,
2: you know. Jeff directed the first, like, three ETC shows, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Donnie DePolo's listed as the director of Cows on Ice. And he's lovely. We love Donnie. But he was sick a lot. Man. And, and uh, so it was really Jeff at the helm. And um, then there was one other director. So it was mostly me and Jeff with one guy in between. Um, and I was going to say something. Oh, and then uh, Jeff—they decided to when they decided to do the Second City Training Center, and this is all before LA. Mm-hmm. Um, they they tapped uh, a few people to put together the training program, and Jeff was one. I wasn't involved in that, but Jeff and his brother and Joe Forsberg, and who else? Um,
1: Michael Gelman.
2: Yeah, all put the put the oh, program uh... together, which was simply five levels and a graduation show thank you so much for your money and then <laughs> then they saw whoa so then all of a sudden it was six levels and then you know what I mean it just it, you, it was just all about the dough and now years like and 4, years and years
1: became a conservatory where you went for years right in order to try to do what the people were doing up on the main stage for those
2: six actors that you're waiting to die right Well, right? <laughs>
1: <Yeah. laughs> right. so i just felt like we had 300 people show up in la for the workshops and right i was uh, running the program so i got up on stage and i said okay how many people saw the show last night and everyone raised their hand i said how many people were in did you see in the show and there were seven in that show right so they mm. said seven and I said, okay, look around you. How many people are here? And I, I said, there's about 300. And I said, what are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds? Of right. not, any one of you being one of the those seven, right? Yeah. And so I said, if you're here, you're here to develop a craft and to meet your community, which is these 300 people. Mm-hmm. They're, they're these, this is your community. And whatever you develop from there, move from there, whether you do it independently of Second City, which I did, or if you if you eventually get hired, which I did, then, uh, you you know, that's that's what it is. It's about developing your your craft, at least in an ideal world.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, so but I, I always put that in front of people. Right. If you're, if you're here for that, that's OK. But look at the odds. What are the numbers? What are the right.
0: Odds? Yeah. 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 And it's and it can be daunting, but I feel like the ones that stick it out are the ones. That, I mean, it was the same when I when I went to the city and I took my stand up class. Yeah. First of all, I didn't know anything about getting in. Like, you, you're not supposed to say that you took a stand up class because people yeah. shit on it. Yeah. But I don't give a fuck. <laughs> they really do. They're like, oh, you didn't blindly, you. <laughs> drunkenly walk into a, a, you know, the back of a white castle and start telling mm-hmm. jokes. And you're like, no, I didn't. I uh, <laughs> I, I just took a class um but uh yeah so i did that or whatever but there were there was like 30 i think or whatever yeah. and it was kind of interesting because it was only me and one other person that wound yeah. up sticking it out and i have no idea what the fuck
1: happened to anybody else yeah like, well I- part of it is perseverance i mean you i when i was working comedy clubs even with uh the uh the group mm-hmm. we were out at least four nights and uh a week Right, and playing multiple clubs, we drive out to Lions and do something at the Comedy Womb, and we drive across to plains and do the Comedy Cottage, mm-hmm. and we drive into Chicago and do Zanies. Right, so we're, doing, we're out all night doing, you know, doing uh, uh, three or four gigs every night. Yeah. So I love hearing the names of comedy clubs. By the way, I think yeah. that makes me.
0: I wish there was a book of just the ridiculous knuckleheads. Yeah all the ones that we've done over and the ones that survived or whatever. And then the like,
1: well, most of them are mob.
0: Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Everybody I, always I, tell you like, that's when the, that's when they were run well.
1: And you're like, were they? Well, uh, they had the laundered money. So they pay you. Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, that's uh, really what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had, I was at Zany's one night. I'm standing in the back and the Zany story is the first four guys that opened it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll get in trouble for this too, but, uh, <laughs> were tech guys mm-hmm. and, you know, they didn't know how to run a club, and but they, they did it. They're nice guys. And they eventually started disappearing, you know, one by one. <laughs> and the guy that ran the parking lot became the owner. Right? Oh, wow. Uh, Rick Hewitt, who passed away. He was a nice guy. I liked him. Mm-hmm. But uh, Two stories. One time I'm in the back and someone bangs on the door. And I open up the door. There's an act on stage. I think emo or somebody's on stage. Mm-hmm. And I and I, they bring in a, a side of beef and they hang it up over the sink. And, uh, you know, I already did my set. I'm just waiting around in case I do something later. Mm-hmm. I'm standing back there about an hour later, someone else knocks on the door. I open up the back door. They come in. They take the side of beef. And leave, right? <laughs> so, so that's the first one. The second one, we were playing a Thursday night, and nobody was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we said to, to Rex, the boss, we said, uh, well, you know, can we go home? He goes, no, get on stage. So we went on stage. This old man comes in, you know, but, in a, you know, the, the mafia uniform suit, he comes in. Another guy comes in. Hewitt is back by the bar, and then there's somebody else talking there. And then there's this one guy sitting in the house, mm-hmm. big guy, dangerous-looking guy. Mm-hmm. So we're doing the show, and Jimmy Fay, who is a great comedian and a great comic in, in our thing, yeah, he, he uh, loses his temper a little bit, and we start just doing mob jokes. Oh, we just start playing shit. And then all of a sudden we hear out in the house – Tables being pushed over, and this guy running, rushing toward the stage, knocking over tables, reaching into his coat, and the old man yells from the back. He goes, "Gino, they're comedians." They're comedians! And the guy stops a few feet short of the stage, looks at us and starts going, ha 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 ha
0: ha 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 ha
1: ha ha yeah, I think we got a tip that night. I yeah, <laughs> planned to nobody but Gino.
2: Yeah. Uh, and oh uh, my God!
1: The club up in Detroit also was uh, Comedy Castle, I guess it was called. Yeah, Comedy, Comedy Castle, Castle. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, they also had affiliations. Mark, and, Ridley, Mark right? Ridley, right? Right. Right. Yeah. And so, but they paid you. They paid you well. They treated you better. Sometimes in subversive ways, you know, uh, free drinks. And I remember when I went to Detroit. One of the comics was uh, trying to tell me that the women were available. Oh. But I was, you know, I was a Catholic kid. My dad was a cop.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and also just seemed kind of uh, sleazy to me. So I just. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They were. Yeah, they were always like, I think th-
0: I don't know if there was like a residue around or whatever when I was when you I mean started like a coke residue <laughs> <laughs> some of that whatever yeah. was on the money they paid me in. um yeah, yeah when I started in like <laughs> oh, <laughs> when I started in 05 um they just the guys that were around would talk about like you know what they would pay you in and who they would auction off to you at the end of the night and mm-hmm. but like with a fondness that I just didn't yeah, yeah. know that I
1: that I shared necessarily. Oh, the or whatever. Good old days.
0: Yeah, 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 where they would pay you in a bag of coke or cash or whatever. was well, so and I
1: would... much that 80s. There was so some late 70s, 80s. There, was, that was. There was so much coke around. Yeah, done freely. And you know, I'd go to a Hollywood meeting, mm-hmm. and people would be uh, passing a a spoon over. You know, and amazing. It's like, yeah, it's like okay, this is a meeting about a television show. What, what is this? You know.
0: Right. Right. So, Did it get easier to convince them that they had bought a project you were selling though? Like, no, you no, said no. yes. We were all doing Coke. And no, you no, said, I, no, I, I, I wish
2: that I was true. Sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, uh, we've we had a lot of pitch sessions, but uh, like one of them, the guy goes, um, I do the pitch and then he repeats the pitch back to me exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? And, uh, and I, I go, wait, I just said that. That was my pitch. And he goes, no, oh, no, that's my idea. Oh. I go, no, no, I just told you, you know, no, 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 that's my idea. It's like, okay, I'll see you later. Yeah, yeah. Guy, you know, he ended up producing something on HBO later, uh, Flight of the Con-
2: uh, Concord. No fucking way, Flight of the Concords? Yeah, yeah. That wasn't oh. our idea, though.
1: No. Right, but that was just a guy, <laughs> yeah. It was-, <laughs> it was the same I was guy like- I had the pitch
0: with. Right? right, Jesus Christ. Yeah,
1: but there was a lot of that stuff. We went to Fox, and we were pitching this really kind of high-end, Comedy thing with a moving camera. It's like you know, where it's a uh, there was a group in uh, England. Uh, they had an anarchist in the group. And it was like they're in one house and hippie and anarchist something else. The young ones, and uh, every yeah. once in a while, their camera would slide into a, a picture frame. Mm-hmm. It would be like in Australia with criminals, and then slide back and you're back in the kitchen and these guys are doing whatever they're doing. Oh, so wow. we, we pitch this the show where you'd move the camera that way, Mm -hmm. move that way into televisions, out of televisions, into a glass of beer and out and boom, a sketch. Ah. The great thing about it was that you didn't have to end sketches. Right. You can just leave at their high point all the time. Nice. And into the next thing. So uh, we We're doing a pitch for that at Fox. And the guy who headed the comedy at the time said, if it's not the Three Stooges, I won't get it. And I said oh, okay, yeah. and I just packed up all our stuff and we left. Wow! And I think it upset my other my partners, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, that you know it's just yeah. I, why I waste know how your to time? Respond. I don't. I not know how to respond. Yeah, uh, we had meetings that were like that. Yeah, from time to time, and uh, you
0: know. Yeah, it's weird. I don't even know sometimes why I, I've been on meetings where I went. I did I had one at MTV had a few at MTV, but one of the ones I had at MTV I thought was hilarious cuz I got all the way there. You know, uh they put me in this weird little room or whatever it was and I was like none of this seems right. And then uh the woman who came in to interview me was like, "Um, so uh we're not really uh we have no real need for comedians right now." Mm-hmm. And I just went Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then then what, when, why am I here? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> well,
2: like... much of show business is like being in the tooth cleaning chair. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like first you're in the waiting room and then you're in the tooth cleaning chair and then maybe yeah. maybe you'll see the dentist. <laughs>
1: and you're yeah. real naive too. I had a meeting with the head of CBS and... <laughs> He's, going, he's saying to me, oh, Jeff, I love your work. I love every show that you did, right? Mm-hmm. And I go, uh, what show did you see? And he just goes on. <laughs> and I go, no, wait a minute. Which show did you see? Yeah. He goes on. I go, wait, I'm very curious. Which show did you see? And then he just looked at me and said, I didn't see any shows. And that was the end of the meeting. <laughs> and I was like, and then in retrospect, I go, God, what that, what's, what's with my big mouth? What is my thing? Right. It's really looking for context. That's all yeah 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 exactly. Mike, I, because i kept going i was embarrassing him oh god and putting him on the spot and uh, but then know. also
0: why even say like there's you know what i love i love when people have been like we'll say something about that like they'll be like oh we, we've we done like 80 something episodes and i'll be talking to somebody or whatever and they'll be like we love it we love it's so and they'll say something that it's not
1: yeah, <laughs> I'm like
0: that's not that at all. But then, but I just go, oh, thank you so much. I just yeah, no, that was the
1: lesson I did not learn.
0: Yeah, but I in my in the back of my head, I'm like, you didn't fucking watch the goddamn. And then I know, but I, what I love to do is, I know for the next conversation that I have, I can just make something up. Yeah, that they have said or whatever it is, and they just go right along with it because they don't want to be embarrassed. And I'm like, yeah. well, now I'm in the ball's in my court now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: it's it, the it, power. Yeah, you, you learn faster than I did. Like.
0: <laughs> I could, but I understand. I get very aggravated about about stuff, or my brain just kind of takes over for whatever reason in those situations where I'm like, I really shouldn't push it here, and then yeah. you're just like, oh, eh, f- fuck it, whatever. Yeah. Uh, what was the were there students that you had, or people that you knew? Because I was reading an article in Vanity Fair with Colbert not too long ago, yeah. and he had told and he had uh, mentioned your name and basically said that. You had taught him to love the bomb. Yeah. When did you learn to love it? Uh,
1: because I did so many shows. I mean, uh, when you start off, you're not very good or you just don't know if sure. you're good. So I started doing live shows almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were really terrible and very painful because mm-hmm. of it. And uh, I just learned to go on and people start laughing at your pain, right? They, they, right. You tell them the shit that's going on with you, and that's what they start laughing at. Sure. So, but my experience was also like even in group comedy is if things were going wrong and you backed away, that was it, right? If you backed away and said, okay, we suck, we give up, right? Right. Uh, or if you, um, if, you just, if you just tried to stop and change the whole flow, you also lost the audience. Mm-hmm. And what I learned was that if you uh, realize, oh God, I, w- I don't have these people at all. Right. If I just continue on the path I'm going with that realization now, they'll dive with you because they don't want you to fail either. Mm-hmm. So they dive with you. And then that moment that you hit when the plane kind of writes a little bit, then you have everybody in the audience because you scared the shit out of them that you were going to suck. Right. And now you don't in that moment. And they're all with you. Wow. So that's what I learned. And that's what I tried to pass on to him. Cause that group, they're brand new, Farley was in that group and, uh, Paul Daniello, Daniello, really great kids. And, uh, a couple of them were trying to perform, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to make the audience laugh. Right. Yeah. And, and my experience was they need to land with you, the individual in order to go on the journey with you mm-hmm. and if you're projecting too much i mean there are people that are totally projection entertainers right so and they those need to have everything built up around them in order to, so they could always project that but sure. for, for you to be on the journey with the audience they have to land with you mm-hmm. and that means being vulnerable enough to understand when you have people and when you don't yeah and to Acknowledge it. Even, sometimes, even you acknowledge it on stage. In that moment, you gain a bunch of the house because you are confirming that they're not wrong, right? You're confirming that, yeah. Something, something. I did a turn here, and I don't um, don't know what it was, but I lost you for a minute. But right, anyway, even that acknowledgement, in some fashion, can reconnect you. Right? Hmm. So that's what I was uh, going at. And then he used it when he did the Bush thing. Right. right so he was doing the bush thing and him and Paul had written two uh, sets mm-hmm. and the audience wasn't laughing at him, it, but it's because they were afraid it was like the reporters were afraid to yeah laugh and uh, he said he remembered my thing there and they, he kept going and mm-hmm. he won the I mean really it won it won them over it won yeah them over really absolutely and uh, he always has been a very courageous guy. Mm -hmm. totally courageous and understood the satire lessons from Bernie Salins at second city. And the main one was that, uh, that it's self-indicting satire is Mm -hmm. self-indicting. I just go out there and play Bush as a bad guy or whoever is a bad guy. I might get some funny jokes, but it it has no power. The power comes from your part in it. Mm. Uh, your 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 cowardness in confronting it, it or whatever it is, you know, we all went, we all waved the flag and went, yeah, let's go get the uh, Afghani's or the Iraqis or whatever. Right. And it, you know, there's a there's a bit of shame in that. In the the you can go later, all eyes lied to, but you can also go, wait a minute, two and two doesn't make four here. What what's going on? Right. So uh, there's uh, there's power in that. There's power in. Uh, uh, being there, even if it means for the moment that the audience disconnects from you, either from uh, a fear or whatever it is, mm. if you if you you let them take the bomb journey with you, and it will be okay. Uh, and you learn, you learn that yeah. you never have to bomb because every time you feel it coming on, you re-engage.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was weird doing it as a stand-up. I think too, and then, I mean, I'm used to have. You know probably the same experience you guys had or whatever but man like it hurt so much in the very beginning it was just excru- like and plus like i was always driving a distance so you know you you spent time so much time alone on the road going to and from a place just to That's f- right. fucking eat it That's and right. then you know and then oncoming traffic starts to look really
1: appealing. Where you are like, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Sometimes it's the venue. You know, you, one night we play in a, a three hundred seat house, and the next night we're in a lunchroom. Right? At yeah, of course. Yeah. So and the, the music's going, and people are blabbing, and you also learn what is your fault and what is what's the environment.
0: Yeah, too. it's so oddly comforting when you realize it's you. Like especially now, like I'm doing it for sixteen years at this point, but it's like. You know, there's some nights where I feel so much better when I go, yeah, I fucking I ate it yes, because sir. I was not in the mood or whatever it was. Would you feel kind of like it's your it's still your job to be the best you can possibly be. But there's some times where you're just like, yeah, today was a, a, an off day
1: and I'm going to go be funny tomorrow. Yeah, but you see, fine. you've been great the comic because I thought I, I was saying is you're seeing Jay Leno and you're seeing yeah. uh, Richard Lewis and you're seeing what happens to them when they feel like they've lost the audience. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a moment of honesty. Sometimes it's a moment of hostility, but mostly <laughs> a, a, a moment of honesty. And, you know, uh, Richard Lewis would just open up yeah. to the audience and go, obviously something's wrong here, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and, uh, and talk about his own mental problems as maybe part of the thing, like, uh, you know, paranoia or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the audience would hear this kind of moment of truth and then they're back on board with you and you yeah. can run as run, soon you- as you're honest with them yeah uh,
0: jane was there a particular point where you thought like everything clicked for you you know what i mean like as a performer there as were, a whatever? yeah
2: there were uh, several that you know like big moments where you go oh i get it now mm-hmm. and uh the first i would say the first one was when i first got to second city I knew I had been working on stage every single night, you know what I mean? And when I auditioned, I was terrified and mm-hmm. I thought, what, what are you terrified about? You do this, just do what you do. This is what you do. This is what right. you, you do it every night. What are you doing? So that happened. But, um, well, how long is that, fe- that? Was there a, I mean, between telling yourself
0: that, cause that's interesting to me because that's something that I, I had to remind myself for a while, you know what I mean? Like, why are you whatever? How long did you have to you ask said- yourself that question? Like, why are you scared? You've done this before.
2: Oh well, I have an answer to the question now, um, because and it's all neurological, <laughs> right? So yeah, yeah. So I work I work with writer performers now a lot, and I direct mm. a lot of shows and and stuff. That's what I've been doing, and and you know you get terrified. especially doing a solo show or whatever. It's terrifying, and it's because. You're afraid of failing, which is everybody's afraid of failing. I mean, Mm -hmm. of course, you're afraid of failing for whatever reason and no matter what your job is. And so but your body, when you when you start to get nervous because you maybe forget your lines or whatever you're afraid of, your body reacts like you're being chased by a bear. It doesn't know (laughs) the difference. It releases adrenaline and cortisol and fight or flight and you're just flop sweat and all of it. And you have to tell yourself there's no bear, right? right. There's no bear. Unfortunately, it's too late because all the chemicals have hit your brain. Mm-hmm. So you have to counteract <laughs> those chemicals. Yeah. So anyway, that's a whole other issue. But
0: It's so true, though.
2: But then, yeah, so there's ways to do that. My, my personal trick is to say there's no bear, and I'm really excited to be here because I want to tell you this. I'm here because I want to show you this. I think you really ought to see this. I think you'll like it. I think Mm. you'll enjoy it. I worked real hard on it. Here it is, right? So I I try to get into that mindset, you know, even to go on. But starting out, my big big watersheds were I was at Second City there and doing my thing. And I would say it took me the better part of a year to figure out that I didn't know what I was doing at all
1: Mm. as
2: an improviser. And I was trying to, Bernie was teaching these workshops at the time, and it was all about irony and blah, blah, blah. And this other guy came through town named Bill Matthew, but now he's called Aloudon, And he was Fred before Fred. Fred Casper for Second
1: City. Okay. Loudon
2: was. um, The
1: original Second City company.
2: Yeah, in the original Second City, he was at the piano. And he was the one that, like, said, Fred, you ought to be doing this. And Mm. he came to town and he did two workshops. And they were far apart. But each one for me was like warp drive. Um, So my three big like woof things were the first one he came and said, you're filling someone else's time. That's all you're doing. What are you filling it with? So that was a huge one for me. But then Bernie started teaching these things, these uh, workshops about irony, which just went right over my head. I'm like, I don't even know what that means let alone put it together in a sketchful, <laughs> just kill me now, just fuck me. And, right. me in the so, uh, but then right around then Aladdin came back and this workshop was about Bernie was making you take the newspaper, find an article, do a sketch about that article. Right. Hmm. And I was dead in the water. And he came in and did the same thing and said, how does this make you feel? Now, Jeff and I've had this argument because this doesn't work for him, okay. but it totally 100% works for me. Right. Because how does this make you feel? And a lot of the time, frankly, it's a newspaper. It's anger. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not what you're looking for. What you're looking for is why. Why does it make you angry? And all of a sudden, right there, you have the definition of irony. And I'll quote Jeff's uh, uh, definition, which is the distance between reality and the ideal. Okay. that's why you're angry. Mm. What is the distance? What's the ideal? What's the reality? Why? Why is this? I would path? say actually right?
1: between your behavior and your ideals.
2: Right. So right. so that to to go to take whatever reaction I was having to anything around me and put that through the lens of comedy was like just a huge huge like burst of warp drive stuff. And uh, so those were the two main ones. But then. Not too long after that, uh, I was understudying a lot. I was in the ETC, but I was understudying all the time on main stage. Mm-hmm. And um, Dell was directing then. And I did a blackout and it was just a stupid blackout. And it was too old. It was just across, like, across the stage. It was two old ladies being an old folks home. And they're talking about, you know, what's for dinner and da-da-da. And it's just whatever they're saying while they're crossing the stage. And when they get to the one side, it's like what drugs? What I was thinking about is what a druggy kid I was and uh, just pot really, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. how important it was to like, what if you run out of pot today? <laughs> 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 and so so like what happens when you're, you know, in the old folks home and you're 90 and you're looking for a joint. And you know, like that was the blow. Like they're off trying to find a joint. And Mm-hmm. And Dell went. That's not a blackout. That's a scene. <laughs> that's all. He hated women. Don't pretend he didn't. He fucking did. So anyway, right. he, he, so I learned a lot from him blowing me off. So he goes, "That's a scene," and I'm like, "Oh, oh, all right." So the next night I go out with it as a scene. The same thing, though. It was all about the drugs. And he, I come back up, and he says, "No, that's not the scene. The scene is what they're doing. It's about survival." It's about survival. So what's that? What are they doing to survive? It's not about just the drugs. It's about, are they astral projecting? You know, what are they doing to survive? And I got to say, we did do that scene in the first ETC show. It's a shitty scene. It, you know, didn't really work out very well, but, Mm. but that thing of like, what's it about? What's it really about? And that filtered down to my improvisational skills. I remember one time Ryan Stiles telling me, and you see this in his work. I can't work without the. Um, I can't work without the wear. He says, hmm. "I can't work without the wear." And I'm, which is odd because he starts scenes by going, and that's why the French don't wash. But okay, <laughs> um, but uh, he's and is he's, he's. But he does need the wear. I've watched him work. He and I don't need the wear. I don't. I don't care if I ever find out where I'm in the scene. Hmm. I need the idea. I need to know what we're talking about. Right. And now I can run. Once I can pick up that ball and run down the field, I'm good. And until I can, until I can determine what it is we're really talking about here, it's not going to really take off for
1: me. Also, I did teach some stand up classes, and I what I tell people now, you know, now they just give you what two minutes, three minutes to do these. Oh my uh, God! Yeah, they when I I mean
0: mine was uh, like. 04 or, or no, 05, I think it was, or whatever. But, um, yeah, you had to do two minutes of material when you first got into the class, yeah. And you were supposed to work up to your five, right? But they would it, just like
1: before you even, even started, they even would just in the open mics. You need 10 minutes, right? Yeah, they, uh, yeah, you need five to 10 minutes if you're doing yeah. the open mics. People, uh, uh, they, they start breaking down the three minutes, like at the comedy store, yeah. And at that point, you're only auditioning jokes, right. And that becomes a disservice to the comedian because there's wow. so many things that can go wrong with a joke Agreed. in a night. So I would tell people don't audition your jokes. Don't mm-hmm. uh, don't use them as an don't say your joke and then wait for a response. Right. You're saying judges, judges, judges. And I encourage them to write bits instead of jokes because jokes are in the bits, because you can replace the jokes in a bit, and the mm-hmm. bit is still funny. The bit still has a Uh, a reason for you to talk about it right Right. whether it's about uh i don't know pharmaceuticals or whatever the fuck it is is that if you have a bit you have a couple cage for your jokes then you can replace the stuff until you build the bit yeah and then you then you then you got that bit then you start moving your bits around that's how you create your running order and,
0: and also becomes and i think it also becomes infused with your personality when you do it that way too and not yeah. just this singular floating thing yeah that you're hoping it lives or dies which yeah, die times
1: is going to die you're trying to do someone else's style sometimes and that's yeah. why you're going to fail right so there's there's a lot of uh, things about that uh you know, like everybody can't be Robin Williams and, right, uh, you know, pretty much nobody, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, yeah. One of my all time favorites. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's a matter of you doing your jokes coming from you. It's a personal thing that you're building mm-hmm. and then it, then you're Rick Overton and then you're yeah. this, Rob you're Ryan. this person. You're not just, you're not the, uh, the, you know, the joke machine. Although there, we know some good joke machines. Yeah, of course.
2: Oh my god, well, emo is awesome. a great joke machine. Emo,
1: emo, oh, emo.
0: It, I love emo Phillips. I don't think. Uh, I think we tried to get him to to come on at one point. I don't think he likes this. Probably not. <laughs> and I don't blame. I I I wouldn't have assumed he would have, but I don't think he likes the virtual uh, stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not. And again, it's it's weird. I feel the same way you you do about it because. When I was out in L.A., I'd gotten into the Laugh Factory, you know, because of management or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I got there early and I had to watch the comics that were waiting to go on and not to shit on the Laugh Factory. But here we go. Um, But they uh, (laughs) like we we played the Laugh Factory, too. Oh, you did. Okay, Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, you know, I, I used to do it in Chicago. That was the first time I did it before the one in L.A. So I used to. You know, I got past there and I think I opened for Dom Irera or whatever. And Mm -hmm. um, we know Dom.
1: We went to Ireland with him. Oh, you did? Oh, my God. I love Dom. Dom is the best. Emo went there, too. We had a a second city show. It's the first comedy festival in Kilkenny, Ireland. Wow. And a lot of great people were on that. Oh, my that. God. And I'm just waiting
2: for you to shit on the Laugh Factory, though. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so
0: I'm, <laughs> yeah, so I'm,
2: so, so I'm yeah. in there, and I'm
0: sitting in the, in the back of the room, and they've got these people who, I, you know, because I got there early, I was actually talking to the, you know, comedians, and I felt like such a heel, too, when you, like, walk past them. You know what I mean? Because I was like, I had somebody... I was supposed to be on the later show or whatever. And I was like, Oh, this feels weird. Um, but you know, they're out there waiting or whatever. And, uh, and I get in there and then they're all kind of doing their thing. So I'm just sitting in the back and they have some like kid must've been like 18 or something like that. And he's got a buzzer and a mic and his own mic. And these people are going up and they're all different ages. You know what I mean? So there's like, you know, 40 year old dudes up there, like women, whatever. And, uh, and if they do something they're not supposed to do, if they go over their time, which, again, is only like two two, three minutes to kind of explain themselves to. And, and they were telling me that they waited like, you know, a month or something like that. Every yeah. time they fucking bomb that audition, they got to wait another month yeah. to get back up there. And then this kid, uh, this guy was up there and he said shit. And he's like in his 40s or whatever. And the kid just hits the fucking buzzer. And it was like in the beginning of his set. And he's like, you are not allowed to curse. Uh, you got to go. You're out. Mm-hmm. And I I want I felt like shit because I was like, this is the worst environment yeah, yeah. I've ever seen for people to be displayed. And also so degrading to be that to be, you know, to be old for, to be an older dude and to be told by some fucking kid that you can't say shit in your app. You know, it's it's so confusing. And so just it, it felt horrible. And I uh, I hated going up the yeah. next night. It wasn't so, it wasn't another club that I had frequented because yeah. I was like, that's a really shitty way to treat people. and then to treat other entertainers yeah that's when the brand
1: becomes more important than anything else it's like uh when we started you did even as a brand new comic you did you got a 10 minute spot Mm -hmm. if you bombed you just bombed maybe you, you 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 come back uh but you got really the development time yeah so that when you came back, you redid it. And you came back and you redid it. And finally, you got good at 10 minutes real fast. Right. Are so you already on board to be an act? Right? Because you, you, at the beginning of the show, you might have a, two 10-minute guys and then the 20-minute guy and then the, the headliner. Right? Right. So you got to develop things faster. Emo was in that environment. Uh, you know, everybody. come at first pl- club I played at. The guy, the hosts were Tom Dreesen and um, what's his oh, Tom, name? Uh, his buddy, the guy that uh, Tim and Tom. So Tim okay. Reed. Oh yeah. Right? So and, and they gave you ten minutes, and you got to you got to develop. And uh, it was like uh, everybody that went through there seemed to be on stage with me later on when I started playing professionally. They're around. They're they're yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, they're around and the ones that didn't maybe established a home spot where they can uh, run comedy shows and do their uh, be the emcee and do their, their act. And uh, th- th- you know, th- develop more organically than right, it does right. now.
0: Also comedians seem to get along better with uh, improv people back in the day than they do now. I don't know mm-hmm. why there's a, a rift in particular, but uh, it seemed like you guys were all meshed together. You're performing at comedy clubs.
1: We're you doing know. better stuff, too, because we were doing it like a comic. Right. right? So uh, we, doing the same, we could talk about the same thing, about yeah. this and this and this. And uh, once they started branding the, the workshops with IO or this is this style, this is our dojo. We do improv this way, and this is our uh, dojo. Yeah. We do this, and everyone else is our enemy there it's it's a messed up system and that's why i call it comedy plantations because you get locked into one church forever yep yeah and it could be the answer
2: really to why you feel like the, the the comics now and the improv people don't like each other because it's almost like that thing where like because improv people go to school Right. And you say you didn't. And most people don't, you know, you, you did, but right. you're like the only one. It's like, it's that kind of, Oh, you went to Yale. Huh? You know? <laughs> it, I'm not, it just has that feeling to it though. It does. Like, yeah. It's this weird sort of, I will say, and exactly what Jeff was talking about with the plantations and stuff. There is a feeling to me sometimes in the improv community of real preciousness mm-hmm. of, you know, It's like because it's it's not necessarily a bad thing that but it's this because it's because it's supposed to be about yes. And, you know, and 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 this your your team and all this stuff. And now they're using it for corporate stuff, too, because it's about team and team building.
1: Oh, God. I
2: think it does get this preciousness to it that is a little.
1: Well, the other thing is that it's students that are watching your shows every night. Mm-hmm. it's other students that are watching your shows so yeah. you don't get that thing that hardcore thing of I have to entertain a public audience right
2: so Yeah, that, this is oh, no, no, that's day. so
1: nice it's like no you have, you have to go step in the fire right and that's I think that was the difference I mean Overton's a great improviser yes Robin was a great improviser and mm-hmm. stand up Jim Carrey is a great improviser and stand up it's so uh, it's like uh, you know it's
0: yeah, it is it is weird. Those three when you talk about those three, even Charles Fleischer, we just had him on yeah. too, and he's a he's a very loose guy on stage Man. and stuff like that, and a great improviser. And, and uh do monads, yes, he oh my god, yeah, he did. He's still talking, it's it's crazy. <laughs> he, t- he texts me every day something, something different or some kind of uh how it's all connected. Um, he was excited too because I'm turning 37 in a couple weeks, and he was just like, Mo leads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like oh Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. I feel like when I, when I've talked to improv guys now, they have somewhat of a disdain for what Robin did or Jim Carrey, you know what I mean? Or like even whatever. And I find that so odd because I think those guys are very freeing. Even when I watched you guys, all of you on stage at the same time perform, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like the kind of structure that I've seen my friends go through with their improv scene. It seems to suck the life out of it which is a shame.
1: A, well, that's because they, they do take their dojo structures and that's what they move on. When improvisation actually is a practice, it right. really is more like a martial art. So uh, there's actual practice in it, on how I engage, what I'm looking at, what how I deconstruct, just like you do in comedy. You deconstruct a whole world through a bit. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. It's the same physical practice. Mm-hmm. And that's what those guys, like. that's what Carrie and these guys learn. That's what I learned. And that's that becomes the thing. And it's not just from classes, it's classes and experience in clubs, live yeah. experience.
2: Yeah. And the live experience part teaches you that the audience is the other player. Yeah, And I think a lot of and I've never heard that said to me in an improv school. Right. And that's the one of the first things I learned is, you know, I didn't have much training. Coming into Second City Mm -hmm. We were just a comedy group And we met twice a week for two hours each time And each time we got together We worked on one game For two hours And then the next time we worked on a different one And then we opened for everybody And it was like It was trial by fire In terms of if you were good at it or not That's how I started Just like it's either funny or it isn't Actually when I was in college You know I was a theater major and all that And (laughs) I was doing drama and comedy and Mm. I made a conscious decision in my junior year because I was doing um, whatever I was asked to do. But when I was doing drama, I never felt right. I felt, I didn't know if it was getting over. I didn't know if it was shitty or good. I didn't know. I I could not tell. Right. And, uh, and, but I was good at comedy. I've always been good at comedy. I was the class clown as a kid. And Uh. I once skipped all the way home for three blocks, like Jerry Lewis, <laughs> as a child. So anyway, uh, yeah, you get I, feedback. Yeah, I just yeah, <laughs> I, I I switched to comedy because you either get a laugh or you don't. Yep. No, if you're getting over. Right. And I, I never looked back. And now, weirdly enough, I do drama. In movies yeah. Well, I was going to
0: say you worked with Meryl Streep. I did. So did Jeff. And we both. Yeah, you both worked with Meryl, Meryl Streep. Do your improv skills? Do you ever feel like, because um, you know you've got your script, and I don't know how loose whoever was directing or whatever makes it feel. Suddenberg does it coming from those backgrounds. Do you have to fight the instinct to do it, or does no. your
1: drama? Mer- you don't. Meryl's improvising too. And okay, great. So, so it was uh, Jamie, Cromwell. Jamie Cromwell. Jamie mm. Cromwell. They're both improvising. They know they're. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna say the lines, right? right. But To make the scene work to make it fresh that day there is a certain amount of improvisation in there so, in the in the in the words or in, the, in what you're doing in the in the when you start filming okay oh wow right? so and that's almost every movie i've been in it's the same situation is mm-hmm. that like we work for gary marshall that's he right he would uh tell us to he'd tell us what he wanted to happen mm-hmm. and we'd go away and maybe improvise, I would generally hide from the other improvisers because I didn't want to set anything. I wanted to do it fresh. right. And uh, we come in, we do the bit, we did the bit. We got through the the thing. we walked down the corridor with Tom Hanks made a funny thing happen and and he improvises too. So yeah. there, uh, and in other films, the same practice is what you do in the scene. Mm-hmm. I connect to the other player. I read the other player. I see what they're projecting at that moment, not about the lines, but what I see on their face, right, mm-hmm. and what I can read. And that's my response comes from that direct connection as opposed to from uh, the lines themselves. There's meaning in the lines sometimes, and sometimes there's not, right? especially in sitcoms, right? It's like, yeah. what does it mean? Well, it means whatever it means to the lead characters here. That's what it means. Right. So let me look at that guy. What is he giving me in his line? That's how I'm going to respond. So I did yeah. have a
2: comical moment with Al Pacino uh, I where I had to keep coming up to the, uh, in Frankie and Johnny, I come up to the window and he says something to me and I would just say something back to him. And um, like I called him Captain Ahab because he had this thing on his head and shit. And, and uh, mm-hmm. so then he would say something back to me and then I could say something back to him. And we'd keep going, right? Mm-hmm. So this happened like three times in a row. We're doing this one take. And uh, but the third time we did it, you know, he says something, I say something back. He says something, I say something back. Gary pulls me aside and he goes, next time, whatever Al says, don't say anything after that. And <laughs> <laughs> like, I got it. <laughs>
0: that's great.
2: Just let the star do the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: that's fucking funny. I didn't even think of that.
2: Yeah, uh, it's, it's
0: fine.
1: Yeah. Again,
2: a... it's about the idea, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, it's not about me and my scream time and my funny jokes. Mm-hmm. It's like, what I'm here to service this. What has right. to
1: happen in this scene? What sure. has to
2: happen? Do I need to shut up now? Fine. Yeah, 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 exactly.
0: <laughs> and it's nice that they told you that's what they wanted instead of just being like, uh, pick up on it. <laughs>
1: You're like, I'm not. Yeah.
2: Just um, edit me out.
1: <laughs> he, he must, Gary mostly let you improvise, and then uh, uh, he'll take the cut he wants, which yeah. is generally not your favorite because it's more corny than right. Running, there's a um, the whole
2: scene in Frankie and Johnny that's improvised, which is the locker room scene with the three women. Oh, nice! That's a good
1: yeah.
0: Wow,
2: I that's mean, great. it had lines to it, but we really like in the end. It a lot of what we improvised is in there right 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 oh that's fucking cool
0: um is it uh when you're when you're doing the movies and stuff like that too and when you're with those like stars are you ever intimidated in any particular way or you just been around so long that they're just like man eh, it
2: doesn't matter i have been that they don't spring to mind um but you still felt like that weird i was nervous about meryl streep okay i didn't know what she was like as a person and and it was just the four of us you know basically all day mm-hmm. Um, in this thing, and I was really nervous, but there was no need to be nervous. Oh. She was the nicest. We yammered and laughed all day, nice non stop. The four of us, it was great. That's good yeah. to
1: hear. So- Got hot chocolate, <laughs>
0: that's always nice. Yeah,
2: yeah, we, yeah. So, but I do, I know I have, but I, oh, else when we were doing Frankie and Johnny, mm-hmm. um, it started with, um these table reads at Penny Marshall's house. And I got the script and we've done table reads for Gary and he just goes, you're not auditioning and you're reading five roles, you know, just read them. Don't do Mm -hmm.
1: anything. Well, one of
2: them was this character I'd done on stage, it looked like to me in the script called Netta. And I'm like, well, I would never do my character while I'm at this table read. And Gary came over to me before it started said, you know, that character you do in the coffee shop do that when you read Netta. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I do this. And then, then there'd be another table. read. So the first time it was like Hector Elizondo and Penny read Frankie and Johnny. Right. And the second time it was, I can't remember who. And then the, so now we're getting used to this. And every time we'd go to a table read, some people aren't there any longer. So we're like, uh oh, okay, we're still in the running. And then, sorry, my TV just came on. Um
1: <laughs> at like, the end it, of the show. It's, yeah, it, uh,
2: yeah. So, so we keep coming to these things. So finally, we go. I was with Taylor Negron, and oh. we were right. And we were we come to this thing, and um, it was uh, Lori Metcalf. Oh sweet, my god, Frankie, Great. and. We're waiting for someone who's late and in walks Al Pacino. And it's this really small room. It wasn't Penny's house anymore, right. really small room. And we all just like went <laughs> <laughs> and Taylor goes to me. Are we just going to all pretend like everything is normal, even though Al Pacino just walked in? And I said, yes, Taylor, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Don't God. eat the cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Don't eat any cheese.
0: Feel like it's, crackers on your lips. Don't. It's, yeah. It's so <laughs> weird. Like, because I've, I've been in, you know, in a situation, you know, where you're just kind of like, do they want to be treated like a normal person? They want you to acknowledge that you know who they are. And I don't ever know if I get it right. I just hope, you know, I'm like, they seem fine, but I don't know if they want to meet the, the only one was, I think, um, I, I had met, uh, we were talking to Louis Black about this. Who's the guy, his, his close friend, Tom, the, um, the one that Dan Loria. No, 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 no. The one, one who was um uh on uh bosom buddies, the not Balky, other guy, cousin Larry, cousin Larry, Wh- whoever. Yeah, I, I I do this. I swear to God, every show, I, I do this every show where I forget a name of somebody and it's just horrible. Um, what whatever that guy was, but uh, uh, uh not bosom buddies. Um, uh-huh.
1: perfect, make- perfect strangers. strangers,
0: Balky, cousin Larry. Uh, I love perfect strangers too. I can't think of his name anyway. Spencer Lewis Black, Lewis Black's telling a story about him, and I was like, I met him on the street once, coming out of an audition, I was in an audition, he was coming out of an audition, and I knew who he was, and I didn't know what to say, and I was walking up to him, and I chickened out, and I just asked him for directions, and then he was like, sure, uh... (laughs) 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 <laughs> like <going> right, <laughs> in the right direction, I was like, "Yeah, if I go up 35th and I make a left," and he was just like, "And in my head, I was like, I wonder if he was like this stupid fucking kid has no idea who I am.'" Or and I was like, "Wait," yeah. and I was like, "And you're cool," and I just left. And
1: I did Marklin
0: Baker, by the way. Marklin uh, Baker, thank you. That's it. I yeah.
1: did uh, uh, one of the guys on Friends. Uh, 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 no, Matt Perry, Matt LeBlanc, Matt. Matt no, no, Perry. Matt. It was Perry. He came to see an improv show I was in. Oh, nice. And and uh, he came up to me afterwards and he said, that was great. And I don't watch television, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that, <laughs> I don't watch the sitcoms anyway. Yeah. And I said, oh, thank you. Are you a player? And he just <laughs> gave me the disgusted look. And then <laughs> <he> walked away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, oh, my God. Mostly great. I'm not intimidated because the people I was playing with early on were really Funny human beings, who I yeah. and a lot of them become stars, right? Right. And I figure if when I'm cast, I'm there, right? So right. I don't, uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, you're already, in, you're already anybody. Job. I just introduce myself, and if we start talking about stuff later on, maybe I'll go. Yeah, I loved you, and this that was just great. Right. You know? Well, because so.
0: the the guys that you've had a Fanatic Salon, I mean, you've had uh, George Wen's been there. It's like yeah. Bernadette's been there.
1: Conan was there at one point. I think I saw photos I directed of Conan. Bernadette in the first thing she ever did. Oh, my God. Back in Chicago. Yeah, use they my, go way back. Use my yeah, G. Conan L.
2: used to play with John Stark's group. They're all old buddies. Yeah. Okay, and that's so, right. That makes sense. So Conan played with them at least three times at the yeah, finale. And
1: also the woman from Friends was in there. Oh, uh, um, Lisa Kudrow. Um, Lisa Kudrow, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, she played too. Yeah. Hilarious.
0: Because she and Conan started together, right, at Second City.
2: Well, they were all no, in the no, no. actual
1: Transformers.
0: Ground. Oh, the Transformers! But That's they right. were
1: in the Groundlings. Groundlings. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, Conan did a show in Chicago with Olden Kirk and a bunch of other guys, and he would come to our show at the ETC. So, wow. Uh, you know that that stuff happens too because you're playing at the same time, kind of in the same. Uh, level the steppenwolf people used to come to our shows Malkovich and those guys and we we go to their shows mm-hmm. so it's it uh it becomes kind of laurie
2: Metcalf as an audience member
1: yeah <laughs> wow so it becomes <laughs> less of a, a yeah I was watching a show I did called We Pola I Pollock uh-huh. and at the end of the show I'm looking at a tape of it old tape of it years ago mm-hmm. and at the end of the show I take these white socks and make people pollocks by bouncing the white socks off their heads. And the first person I talked to was Amy Poehler. Oh my God! But I didn't know. You know, I not That's just an audience member. At sure. Point, she probably really just was an audience member, right? But I go, "What's your name?" And she goes, "Amy." And it's like, and it's Amy Poehler. And I hit her on the head with a bunch of white socks. <laughs> <laughs> so that that stuff happens too. People. knew yeah. Andy Dick was like a fan of ours, and he was our babysitter oh my god terrible abuse we did to our kids i was just uh, gonna
0: say that's great yeah. but he was well, it's uh, not
2: as bad as it sounds we our babysitter <laughs> couldn't make it and he was i had to bring the baby to work and mm. there was this kid that would come to every show wearing a cummerbund and it was andy <laughs> dick and it was like can you hold the baby during the show which only happened twice okay. but
1: um,
2: he was like a fan he was in the he was there all the time
1: yeah so so you have a lot of relationships that way, right? People uh, saw you over the years, or you worked with them. And like I, I did a, I did a small film with Robin Williams, AFI film in nineteen seventy-eight. Oh, was it uh, Moscow on the Hudson? No, it was called no. This is an AFI film, so a student oh, film. It's oh. called The Last Laugh. Is what oh was. wow. And I played a, Robin was a star with this old man that was his mentor. And I played a Russian exchange comedy student. And that's it, it because I was in the, the Groundlings and they've hired a bunch of Groundlings mm-hmm. in this uh, thing. So a lot of times the people that become stars, and I'm sure you're experiencing this now, uh, were contemporaries. Yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, that's, that's, yeah uh, you know, I'm 70 years old, or just about to be 70. So I've been around a long time. Yeah. So I worked with Michael Nesmith. And in fact, the thing I worked on Michael Nesmith with the, um, the monad guy took that uh, part over, what, what's, oh his, my... name? what's his name? Uh, uh, Roger. Charles Fleischer. Charles Fleischer. Yeah. Roger. Yeah. yeah. So I did the, I was the first VJ in America. Wow. With this Michael Nesmith thing. It wasn't a good production of it, it was one, you know, it was the pilot mm. and I was supposed to play a hippie in a, victorian mansion in outer space <laughs> but one of the producers came in and she thought i was cute so they put me in a nice red cowboy suit with a red hat mm-hmm. and it killed it for me i, I just was, yeah yeah. You what know, and then uh they did the pilot they rejected me in the pilot and then fleischer did the show wow and he was a hippie from a you know they right. It, right yeah so uh I, I saw Fleischer first in the seventies, of course, because mm-hmm. I was uh, doing the clubs around L.A. before I went back to Chicago, and uh, that those were the guys that you saw. It was uh, him and the guy from uh, Seinfeld, rushes in the door all the time.
0: Oh, uh, Michael Richards.
1: Michael Richards. So he was yeah. already right there playing with his plastic uh, uh, folders, yeah, on oh, stage. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, those were your. Those are your contemporary people and then boom that's and you see it and it's great and you're happy Mm. for them and uh you know yeah it's it's weird because i i like
0: i grew up on comedy and like reading about all that kind of stuff and every time i've got like stand-ups on i'm always like oh you were in this book i read back in the day Mm -hmm. it seems like with any kind of entertainment though tv radio whenever people figure out how to make money off of it Mm -hmm. then it becomes like you said the plantation thing because all the stuff you're talking about seems like there was just a level of freedom yeah you know, where you were not constrained by the club owner needing the money and whatever, like you guys got to play, they handled the drinks and stuff. And that was it. And now it seems like, you know, I'm constantly up against it is, uh, you know, every club thinking they're in a room, you know, every, you know, you're not allowed to bomb here. You're not allowed to play. Um, you know, and I can't imagine anybody getting on stage with army figures anymore.
1: Yeah. And then just, Having a go at it, yeah. Part of it was how many comedy clubs were there in the seventies. I mean, really, right? You know, they were just opening; they are just beginning. So you got to play whatever was available, mm-hmm. and they had no idea what a uh, stand-up night was, right? So that that uh, that evolves. That that kind of stuff, and also, I what I say now is that there aren't any producers anymore. Mm-hmm. There's only landlords. Oh, that's a great. That's a great point. It's great all about point. the real estate now. It's not about anything else.
0: Absolutely. And it's such a shame, too, because I feel like I can't stand when, you know, um, somebody will say something along the lines of like, oh, my God, that's a great comedy club. That's a great comedy room. And I want to be like, no, that's a building. The people you saw are great. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're what make it great. Because I hate when the room is bigger than the performers. Yeah. I think it, I think it just, it kind of sucks the life out of it. It makes people feel like, you know, I, like special just for being there. And I want to be like, yeah. uh, that, that, that place is going to come and go. Yeah. And it then...
1: constrains you, even in the performance, because you, yeah. You know, if, if Mitzi's sitting up in the window watching your act, mm. there's a little bit of a, like, oh, what, you know, there's a little intimidation there. It could be. Yeah. For, it doesn't bother me. I don't care. But there, sure. People do, but you know, they're, they're, they're uh, Trying yeah. to please an outside source that gets to say how much time you do. How do we develop you? Right. Uh, that kind of type of stuff.
0: Well, it's even weird, too, because like nobody, um, you know, I always try to tell people now because it took me a little bit when I was younger. But I think I shook it off a little earlier mm-hmm. because they say like, you know, no comedy club can make or break you in the same way with any kind of because they'll try to make you feel like that.
1: Yeah, the the fact making,
0: the, even Jamie wants to make you feel like he owns you at the beginning, right? Absolutely. Uh, and it's such a weird thing because I'm yeah. like, I'm not even making a living yet. So yeah, how yeah. could you own me?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> right. it's so weird. I'm like, because <laughs> that is how it is. If you're making yeah. handover fizz money wise, I'm like, I get why they're fighting over me. But if nobody's, if I'm not even a draw yet, why do you care where I work?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so we worked well. that by we worked everywhere. Yeah. Well, you guys know. I mean, you even taught Mike Myers, right? Well, I didn't teach Mike. I hired him at, up in Toronto, okay. so he came in, and I lo- they they're trying to replace somebody, and uh, there, there were people that obviously didn't like him for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I said, "You never had a guy like this." When well, they brought me up in the office, and I said, I "Mean, you, there isn't a second city guy that exists like this guy," and he had this suburban uh, over his head in intelligence person like a the garage kid the wayne mm-hmm. doing shakespeare right right so it's like you haven't had this guy you haven't right. had this character and uh, so they hired him and uh, he uh, uh jim yato who is his uh, uh kind of assistant called me up and said that mike mentioned me when he got his hollywood uh, walk of fame star yes yeah and uh but it, it was I didn't groom him at all. He he was uh, already he was already funny. Same thing with Farley, already mm-hmm. funny. Uh, I just I just pointed out the second city. He said you don't want to keep cookie-cuttering. You don't want another Bill Murray, right? Not because it's bad, but because you want you know you want somebody that you haven't seen before. Right. Nobody had seen a Colbert on the second. Sure. City. Stage. Nobody had seen a Farley on the Second City stage. Nobody had seen a Jane on Second City stage. Nobody had seen Amy Sedaris on the Second City stage. In fact, their first night, I'm sitting in the audience because I hired them. Mm-hmm. And there's an actor sitting next to me and he sits down and he goes, who hired the Dirtballs? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So you said you had done some stand-up. Jane, have you ever tried stand-up or any kind of curiosity? No, to...
2: never. I have a huge admiration for stand-ups and I love watching them hone. Mm. If you get to see them over and over again while they're working. Yeah. Uh, But no, I I have a great admiration for them. Although I've been having a major problem with the current crop or a segment of the current crop. So um, I don't know about that.
0: Um, It's an odd, uh, I know exactly what you mean. And it's kind of weird because I don't know what uh, always what direction it's going in. But I think it's all about, you know, money at this point, too, because I feel like it's the same. Are you talking about I'm assuming we're talking about like the podcasting side of it. And that's just kind of like, no, no, you're talking talking about about the people showing up at for open mics and stuff like that. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I don't know. I'm out of that loop in L.A. right now. I was at an
2: open mic recently that I don't really want to talk about. Um, Okay, I will just say to you that it's it was like a fucking Trump rally. Jesus. Oh, I'm I'm still upset by it. And I've had conversations with some of the people involved and the shit they say about why that's okay is really, um, I don't know. It's really frustrating to me. Like the one guy, I I, kind of the point I was making is like, who the fuck's going to hire you with this garbage you're saying on stage. Right. And he points to some guy who's actually making money, saying that garbage on stage. Like, oh well, so like there's one bin, like one break. It's like the odds thing that Jeff was talking about earlier, right? Like <laughs> you're going to be the next guy that breaks because nobody wants to hire. And he this made me crazy. He started this whole speech about I don't need Hollywood, you know. And he talked about that thing like I can do. There's all these platforms. All oh, I don't need Hollywood to be in my gate. And I'm like. I walked away, but Mm. it's like, you don't know you're talking to a person who has spent her life fighting gatekeepers. Yeah. I'm on your side. Right. I think you're right. I don't think anybody should stop you from doing what you're doing.
0: Yeah.
2: Really. I think, you know, like, you know why you're here tonight? Because I have a comedy club. Right. Because I wouldn't let anyone stop me. From doing what I do. Mm-hmm. So don't, all but what you're saying basically is Hollywood, I'm a drop in the bucket of Hollywood. Right. I don't need Hollywood. Okay, you're right. But now you're just in it. Now instead of being a drop in the ocean, you're a drop in all fucking seven seas, dude. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> Are you crazy? Good point. Yeah. The one thing he said to me was um, no, te- television's over. And it made me like go, really, because pretty much wherever I go, when people don't know what to talk about, they talk about what they're watching on television, (laughs) don't they? I mean, an occasional podcast, I guess people might bring up, but that's it. No one's talking about live streaming, blah blah blah, or you know what I mean. They don't. So, yeah, I mean, you know, let's. I, 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 yeah, I'm you can see that i have yeah
0: <laughs> i'm i'm impressed that you're still going to the open mics to check i haven't been to an open mic to check out any like i would such a shame because sometimes i go do i even like stand up? because <laughs> i'm like i never go to hang out at any of the places oh it's <laughs> same way
2: with improv i don't go to see oh. anybody's improv show yeah yeah i don't no right. none of us do none of it's us do none of us people. no we don't go well if somebody <laughs> invites me i will gonna go
0: Yeah. Yeah. If I'm in, if I go to see a friend, like, yeah, I think the last, last open mic I went to obviously pre COVID was because a friend was like, it was funny. It was a friend who had come from LA moved to LA and she was like, I'm doing danger fields. And she was really excited about it, but I didn't want to be like, it's, it's all right. Like, (laughs) so I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And then I had to go down there. And the guy who was running the thing was such a fucking asshole. He's actually running the comic strip now, which means I'm not going there anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, he was like, he was an independent producer at Dangerfields, which obviously closed. Um, but uh, And he was just a piece of shit. And he was like doing shots at the bar, running this show. He had a scam going, you know, every comic had to bring like 15 people. Yeah, yeah bringers
2: they call them, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Horrible. Um,
2: and the comics like, is it a bringer?
0: Yeah. Because oh <laughs>
2: they can't get anybody to come and see them out. Oh. <laughs>
0: How do you even develop when it's a bringer show? Because you're worried about your friends who've come to see you a million times. If you don't have new material, they're never going to come back. If you can't work on your new material because you're only doing bringers, you know, it's like uh, you're you don't you don't develop that way. It's terrible.
2: Yeah, And for the club, it's just about selling the damn drinks. So what the fuck? You're not
0: really a producer
1: because you're not putting together a show dude oh my god i can't even tell you how
0: happy i am to hear you say that because it's really upsetting to me that like i feel like a lot of these clubs waive all rights to getting asses in the seats and i'm like well then how could you just have the same seven fucking comedians cycled in and out you know who people are gonna get tired of seeing it yeah it's the
2: amazing thing to me on the heartening side of all this Mm -hmm. is how many really good people there are out there yes there's some fucking yeah. great people out there that Absolutely. no one's ever heard of, both as improvisers and stand-ups and, you know. Yeah.
1: Oh, was it Cicely Strong on SNL the other night? Yeah. That was brilliant. And yep. it was so personal and so powerful. And everything you, you you know, it's one of those things that you're going to remember forever because <laughs> it was just a breakout moment for a human being. and But also in uh, the what how she had to craft that and you then you realize she did have to craft that that way right so so it's both brilliant but it was also a necessity and it was also very personal and very universal and it was like you know it just takes your breath away yeah exactly that was i hadn't seen anything like that from snl in a really
0: long time so it was like a it was a nice moment yeah i also happen to be watching it live which i never do i always catch it later colbert moment that's yes Colbert moment yeah good point yeah um, I'm going to ask you guys, a, I feel like I've kept you longer than I said I was going to keep you. So I apologize if you guys have to, uh, peace out. Well, you got a, to squeeze stuff
1: in too, don't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I've got, uh, I got a couple more questions. Um, just in general, uh, one before I ask the main two is your writing styles because you guys have come up together, work together, work with improvisers and stuff like that too. Are they, are they completely different in terms of like, do you feed off your improvisational skills? Cause you both like you said, you both come from different kind of uh, areas in that respect. Yeah. But when you're writing, does that
1: flip? Does it change? Do you kind of work with- I, I think Jane is crafts more than I do in a great way. I mean, her stuff is brilliant, mm-hmm. Uh, and, but she sticks, she has her thing that she's trying to draw on and she doesn't present it until it's absolutely what she wants and absolutely perfect. And it's nice. I And I have ADD, so- I build tables. Yeah, okay, I just wow. little tables I
2: leave, with really fancy legs.
1: I leave big <laughs> holes in what I'm doing. OK, so if, if you look at my scripts, there's just big holes. And it's like this happens, this happens. And when I do it, it's just going to be me filling the hole that night. Right. So,
0: uh, But then that's and, also probably how you guys compliment each other. If you're working together, one fills in the other.
1: Yeah. Jane, I used to say at Second Cities, I could tell where we were in the show by watching Jane. Because we in ETC we did a lot of really open things where you were doing a lot of improvisation within the sketch. Mm-hmm. And so people would do riffs you know and, and then a, you know a moment I go, where the hell are we in the scene right how do we latch back onto this and then I right. Jane, Jane was the steady person that was just bam, I could look at it and go, oh, this is where we're at
2: because I have to know what the idea is mm-hmm. right okay it all comes back to
0: that right um okay so I've got two questions for you guys that we ask every guest you can ask answer them individually if you can um one of them is uh if you can go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice that would help you today what would it be
2: get a publicist <laughs> <laughs> it's a good piece of advice yeah well, except that... I
1: don't know what they do but I do agree with you well somebody told Jane about uh, was it about Rosie O'Donnell
0: hmm
1: well, uh, when Rosie did the, the baseball movie. Oh, um, League of Their Own. Yeah, she she hired a publicist at the back end. And so three months at the back end and then three months. boom, And that's what gets you on the talk shows because people go, uh, they'll ask a publicist, do you have anybody from, uh, they'll say who they want from the baseball movie. Right. And say, well, I can't get uh, Madonna, but uh, uh, Rosie O'Donnell. And so she now she's, she's doing her first talk shows. Right. So basically what they said was you're taking that money that you made on that first movie and you're investing in a publicist so you could get your second movie. Wow. And that was really good business advice. A lot of people know, know that. I didn't know that. I wish I'd you.
2: paid attention at the time.
1: Right. <laughs> and for me, it would be just what we just talked about a little while ago. If somebody's complimenting you or doing something, don't challenge them. Just... Except, yeah just let them, let them be full of shit
2: say thank you yeah thank I, you so much oh that's good to hear yeah.
0: can i tell you something i won't tell you who it is i'll maybe after if you guys hang out for like a couple of seconds in the back whatever but there is somebody that i'm close with now and i've been on their show several times who thought i was on their previous tv show mm-hmm. and i've never corrected them yeah and every time they introduce me when i'm on the show they mention the last show that i that that was on with them i have never been on it
1: I don't think I've ever seen it,
0: (laughs) but but they just say it and it's now a credit and I've never corrected. Hopefully,
1: hopefully they'll never watch this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I hope Mm -hmm. I'll edit it out Uh, um, (laughs) her hiring at second city the producer had thought she was somebody else's roommate.
2: Yeah, that was a really weird thing. When I was auditioning and I was, again, I was very nervous, right? Yeah. I'm I'm on stage and Joyce Sloan said to somebody, this is Jane, Jane Morris. She, no, she goes, this is Jane and she is so-and-so's roommate. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, no. I'm Jane Morris and I've never, I don't know who that is. Right. <laughs> but it didn't stop there because then I got called back and I was again, literally on stage. And now she's actually walking through the house with Dell during my audition. And I hear her say that's Jane. She's Mike's roommate. And I'm like, no, no. Again, I'm
0: not. Right.
2: So for all I know, they just hired me because I was somebody's roommate and oh, that's so but they did like me there. So
0: yeah. If it's a if it's a positive thing and it's not too egregious, I do kind of go like I'm just gonna go with this for right now, and maybe I'll correct them if I know them later. No
2: idea what she was talking about.
0: Yeah, it's so, because I sometimes I feel bad. Sometimes it's actually such a nice thing that I'm like that's a better memory than the memory we actually have together. I'm gonna <laughs> let you keep
1: that one. Yeah, <laughs> that's like nice. Doing them a favor. Yeah, right. It's, it's often introduce me and have a story about us together that I don't. <laughs> know or remember or anything
0: yeah that's the funny thing too especially with comedians i feel like they're 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 like they're so ego driven and they also are conscious enough to try to come down off their ego that yeah. you can literally go up to any comic and go you were uh this and we were here and they'll go fuck yes you're right we were there together
1: and
2: you know whatever and you're just like oh, i find
1: comics both uh, ego and of a, a, a really uh a sensitivity and a vulnerability too i agree and, and i think that always kind of fights so, with each other which so is why not, they're like absolutely so, so it's, it's not uh, it's not yeah. narcissism no because there's there's that uh that open side to it we've yeah. met comedians that are narcissists right sure and, and you know nobody likes them right but yeah uh, that but mostly there's a there's a real humanness underneath and it's absolutely of the struggle of being a stand up is it's a tremendous struggle
0: it is and the ego i think kind of comes into play like again like you were saying like there's a sensitivity and stuff you always try to balance that out keep it in check the ego comes from trying to figure out your self worth in an industry that's constantly telling you you should work for free that's right so you're like so you, you know you got to build that up enough to be like I'm worth more than that. But also you're fighting your natural vulnerability and and kind of wanting to connect. That's right. It's, it's a weird thing. Um, The last question I have is uh, what had to end in your life, good or bad that led you to where you are right now?
2: Um, For me, honestly, it was, it was kind of twofold. I had a notion that I was, we were going to do when we had this com- the comedy club that I started with. Um, I, I had this notion we were going to do plays and we tried and it was a disaster.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, St. Nicholas Le- theater was right around the corner from us. St. Nicholas was where David Mamet started mm-hmm. and he was there in residence doing, you know, like there was no way. So I started doing our own, our own thing. And then, yeah. And then go- going from there to, to second city was, I I said, said to the people at my little comedy club, don't let me get sucked into there. Like, don't let me not see you guys anymore and hang out with you guys anymore. Cause I'm not a second city. I know that happens to people. It's like some vortex.
0: Right.
2: And it was instant. Wow. In the vortex boom, I, I, I rarely saw those people anymore.
1: Yeah, I didn't. My friends too, but they were dangerous people, and I didn't know they were dangerous people. (laughs) But I think for me, it's like not being alone was the big kind of uh, transition. I, I tended to fade like completely, Hmm. uh, and uh, just shut down uh, uh, in periods where I didn't have anybody around me. So, Uh, so in the way Jane pulled me out. Literally, <laughs> his
2: his door at that point and to his apartment, the hinges were off. So when you opened it, it just fell in like a drawbridge. Right.
1: <laughs> then you pick it up and lock it. And then, you know. Oh my god, that's great! But that was in between a real successful time and then getting the second city and being the outsider there. Right. And when you're when you're the outsider, then it's like you're you're not making any uh, headway at all. And, sure. Uh, For some reason, uh, Jane coming along and uh, teaming up with me was just, it changed everything. Changed the way people treated me. Uh, It's weird. It was a weird phenomenon. But I think it was more of a uh, pathological thing on my end than it was uh, a reality. It's just like... uh, When I first got
2: hired, I was treated as like the golden girl, the new golden girl.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And they any open slot show, place they put me in there yeah, right. until we became the Jeff, Jim, and Jane problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, that, that was, By that time we were unstoppable. So
1: <laughs> I was a dangerous invader. Yeah. I was a guy that already worked, already got news things, boom, boom, boom. And I'm invading a space and competing against a lot of people. And I, right. I, I never felt like I was competing against them, but they certainly. Also you that. didn't,
2: you're another one of those guys, Jeff, that didn't fit their mold. No, yeah. You know, they had again, they had that mold. They had the, the sharp guy, the blue collar guy, the fat guy and the clown. Right. Mm-hmm. And Jeff is none of those things. He's I guess he's blue collar, but he's also the smart guy. Right. right. So they the smart blue collar guy was like, what? Yeah. You know, he can't talk like that. The, the Meanwhile, they're me. on the other side of their mouth. They're telling you play to the top of your intelligence. Yeah. It's one of the rules. Right. It's a good rule. Keep yeah. it.
1: One of the producers said to me that I was betraying the proletariat.
2: <laughs> what does that even mean? Yeah. what oh, the I fuck? Know,
1: I'm, I'm not acting like the this, the Dem and those guys. Right. And that's where he wanted me to come from and be that guy. Right. Brutal. And uh, it wasn't, you know, there are other guys at the time, a New York guy, I forget his name, who was a philosopher. He was on the waterfront mm-hmm. and he's a famous philosopher. And I was always interested in what, you know, whatever came up, I'm going to dig into it and find out what it is. And I was getting laughs doing that. It just wasn't, I didn't fit the. Right. And once you don't fit there, the, whatever's in their head, they don't fucking want to make room. I don't know why. Right. No matter so, how well it's working. So we made room and I made room for that. And nice. Uh, we made our own room.
2: Which right. was so ironic about that kid. <laughs> 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 like you don't know who you're talking to <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that is it, it is kind of shitty when they have no fucking idea where people they, they think they're the only ones that are coming you know what the
2: uh, it's forgivable because i was that kid too yeah. and and you know it is forgivable but and i it's frustrating though when you're old and you're just an old lady you know that they're talking to it, it's pretty right. depressing
0: It doesn't even. I feel like it doesn't even. I mean, I I don't. I don't consider. You know, I'm like I said, I'm gonna be 37 in a couple weeks or whatever. But there's still people that don't give a fuck. Like, I used to be that guy in high school with my friends, and if they didn't understand who, you know, Jack Benny was, I'd be like the fuck. Like, that's all they're doing. Like, so I love you know Zach Galifianakis, who I love, right? He's great or whatever. But he did this sketch on Comedy Central at the time where he was talking about physical humor, and he Mm -hmm. fell down a hill, and I was like, that's (laughs) hilarious. And I was like, but. But, but how basically physical humor isn't funny. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's demeaning, but he does all this shit. And I was like, I'm like, that's hilarious. And it's really funny. I'm like, but Dick Van Dyke did it and the Dick Van Dyke. And my friends are like, nope, don't want to hear it. And I am like,
2: Keaton did it. Yeah, all exactly. the way down <laughs>
0: Yeah. So I'm like, it just, go-, which I have no problem with any of that too. I'm like, yeah, did it hilariously in a yeah. different way. But I was like, come on, like it should still be, but you know, they don't, nobody fucking gives a shit. Yeah. Well, he,
1: you know what? He's totally a physical comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And stand up was different because he did the, the, the thing from the piano. Oh, God. Stuff, so good. The Purple Onion special is just fucking brilliant.
2: I, yeah.
0: I, and I'm happy he almost never did another one because that's just crystallized. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, uh, but he really is a physical comedian. Uh, yeah. Right down to it. You know? so he, Even like Due
0: Date with him and Robert Downey, like mm. all the stuff he did to half of that movie. I mean, it wasn't a great movie, uh-huh. but it was it, right. Tom, you're muted again. It was it, was a, yeah, or you're low. It you heard good, me say I thought it was a good movie. You know what's funny? I saw your lips move and I just read that it, <laughs> <laughs> it was a good movie.
2: <laughs> it, it was a good I, movie.
0: I liked it. Like, I, th- I don't think it got rave reviews, but it was very much like a planes, trains, and automobiles. But it's Robert Downey who's fucking brilliant uh-huh. and Galifianakis who's hilarious. And uh, But a lot of the stuff in that movie was physical and it was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So fucking funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, those guys are great.
1: Yeah. You know, the the people, a lot of the people that emerge are just fantastic. Yeah. And it's like, uh, and you do get the sense of, um, them dealing with irony and nuance Mm -hmm. and, and you go, no, that, so that's what makes them difference is, is the nuance and not the style. Right. Right. It's the fact that they're aware of what the what their style is and how they're playing it and how they how they uh uh interpret scripts through it right yeah interpreting right. the script is like yeah you know. and how they can be themselves in that
0: right i'm just hoping some director makes a mistake on me and picks yeah. me to do a thing that's all i'm waiting for
1: everybody yeah. makes a mistake right? a lot of times that's exactly what it is it's like you you get that chance to do something, and then you're you. That's you. That's who you are for a while. Right. It's
2: gonna be one of those guys that says he knows who you are that doesn't know who you are at all. When <laughs> he thinks you're in something that you're really great in. I
0: hope so. And you
2: weren't. Yeah. And then you'll get famous on the kind of that. <laughs> oh,
0: that would be beautiful. What? What? Hey, that.
1: Would be so you need great. four or five of those guys with different projects. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just going to keep changing my look until I look like somebody that somebody else famous knows. <laughs> but I'm just well, going to keep that, doing.
1: Who's that kid that's on uh, uh, Silicon Valley? Uh, oh. Um, he, he, he has a little, little
2: ditch or something, that guy?
1: No, the guy who's the son of the f- friend of yours, Jane.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. What is his name? Oh, I can't think of his name. But anyway,
1: he's the, he, you have that look, too. Oh, great. Of the guy and, and, and that thing, he's got long hair and he's yeah. very, he just he just he says smart, outrageous, insulting things to his partner.
2: <laughs> he was in that movie we didn't like the other night. That terrible yeah. movie, that, that superhero movie that is so bad. The Spider-Man no. one.
0: No, Eternals you mean? Oh,
2: he was in Spider-Man? Yeah, that guy was in a, a bad Spider-Man movie. He Hold was good in it. I yeah, mean, we, you know, he fulfilled his function.
0: We got to talk about this for a second, because I've seen all the Spider-Man movies, so I got to know which one you're thinking of. Is it the it's, Andrew Garfield when he's Spider-Man or Tom Holland? I don't know. Okay, wait. What was... I got to figure this out. What, we're, we're just going to take another three hours. What okay. is the... I'm uh, <laughs> just kidding. Wait, I. Uh, who... The, who is the, the, the kid's on is? a
2: class trip, and uh, Tony uh, Tony Stark is dead, and okay, he goes on the the a class trip to Italy, and then oh. this... Uh, Jake Jake Gyllenhaal is the. Oh, Jake the, in it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wait, oh, you didn't like the, that he, one? I
0: loved that one. Okay, wait. Okay, so the guy who's in it, then I think you're talking about. um, He's the
2: most recent Spider-Man. Really, that guy. It's Tom Holland. Of, yeah, but, yeah, yeah.
0: it's Tom Holland. I'm trying to think of the person you're talking about. I'm it's the one. I know, I know who.
2: Who is it?
1: I don't know. I got to look it up. I'm trying to find the. A...
0: This is going to be, yeah, it's going to drive me crazy. But um, I think I know who you're talking about now. I just can't think of his name, but um, he's, Jeff
2: left us. Uh, <laughs> he's, like, he's trying to find that guy's name. He's like, yeah. I'm done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, look up the guy's uh, name when he knocked himself off.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I wonder if he's going to pop back in. Before- it's okay. The
2: nurse will be through soon. and <laughs> have him.
0: We come back. He's on like a strap to dialysis. <laughs> Give me a- I think I found it. I think it's Martin Starr. Martin, Martin Starr is the guy. Martin Starr is the guy? Okay. I lost. Yeah. I got lost. It's Martin I... Starr?
2: Yeah, Martin Starr is his name. That okay. actor that we were talking about. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, He's great.
1: Hilarious human being. I'll take it. Yeah, through. very funny. You're right. Yeah. We do. Sometimes kind of I
0: get his clipper seats. Oh, wow. That's very nice. And
1: we still don't know his name. Isn't that a shame? If
0: I get <laughs> If I get something that was meant for him, I will also give you my clipper seats. Okay, good. Because I, can't. I want to go to the
1: game Sunday. They're playing the Bulls. And...
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, let me work. Let me let me get let me get to a movie real quick. <laughs> um, but thank you. Seriously, you could, I love you guys so much. So thank you for coming on and doing this. And uh, I it's hope you been had a, good a time. pleasure. Excellent.
1: Yeah, I would just say that this look that you have right now—that's that's your sales pitch. Thank you. I There's will work. Character, be that guy. I will. Yeah.
0: I appreciate that. And look at my, Tom nodding Thank his you. head like, "Yes, make us Perfect. some money."
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the um, other, you the guys... other advice I have is, do your own shit. Just do. Oh yeah,
0: own. that's what we're. Uh, we started this during the pandemic and just yeah. rolled with it. So we've yeah. been uh, having some luck with it so far. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, you know, still have slugging. You, have it you out interviewed
1: uh, Fugel Sang? I have. I've interviewed
0: Sang. Um He's been on. I'm always on his. Thing we're actually going to do a show together. Um, so we're going to go out and do some stand up together for the perfect, first time.
1: He's a perfect uh uh bookend compliment, fan. yeah, yes. yeah,
0: very much so. We yeah. it's it's really funny. We kind of uh, whenever I am on on Sirius, whenever I go in there, we always oh, people always either comment on the fact that we both have long hair,
1: <laughs> like unless well, you have long
2: hair, and I haven't seen uh, him in so long. I used
1: to coach him on his uh stand up. Oh, you did, yeah, and my oh, thing my with God. him was for him to connect. Yes,
0: I'm on his show on the 18th. I'll tell him you yeah. said hi.
1: He's a, he's a brilliant guy. He is. Um, but his early on thing was that if he if he felt like he was over your head, he he would drop the audience, and it's like no, just just keep going. In. Yeah, in. it's connect with them. Don't judge them. They'll be fine. It's so fun. Yeah, he's so fast on his show.
0: Yeah. Um. So so smart, and it's funny because he'll introduce me, and he'll you know he's very complimentary when he does it obviously i'm a guest on his show but each time he does it he's like you know one of the smartest guys out there. but and i want to be like just tone it down <laughs> because i feel like i'm an idiot on his show nine times out of ten you gotta come just... out
1: drooling yeah yes. yeah <laughs> yeah say hi to him i love that guy too he's, a good yeah, guy. he's great
2: yeah tell him we said hi we miss him i haven't seen him in a while
0: Absolutely. There's a list of people I have to. Shelley Goldstein mentioned you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like literally, almost every guest we've had on the show who's involved in improv in some way has talked about the both. Yeah, episodes. I
1: always uh, describe myself of the zealot of comedy. <laughs> I'm in all the pictures and all the books somewhere, and it's, you know, but uh, yeah, 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 all the black. Not and white me. Photos. I've been disappeared, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> not the bartender lot, that fades
0: out in The Shining. Everyone's like, "Where yeah, go? I
1: wander out. Doors more. That's all. Yeah, I'm. I'm always been walking around the neighborhood forever, and that uh, that's what I still do is uh, show up. You're what you're saying is you're the Argus Hamilton of
0: improv. You're basically just still wandering uh, around I the comedy not. store. I no, I know. I know. Ar- and, and contextually about that guy's name, but I feel like he's like the ghost of the comedy store half the time, where well, people but are he was like <laughs> also
1: promoted up the wazoo by uh, um Mitzi. Mitzi. So that, that's what made him someone and i'm that the other comics felt like you know yeah there's better comics here you know
0: absolutely so I, I don't want
1: a, a bad mouth a lot of people loved him and stuff but
0: no i know what you mean i feel like yeah. I, I, I i like i know a little bit about whatever but it was one of those things where like i think when you would go to the comedy store, it was almost like a people would just mention the guy's name and to me i was just like before i knew who he was i was just like what is going on like i don't yeah. understand but it was very much like a, somebody that still lives in the walls there, you know,
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> is that a weird thing to say? I don't even know, but yeah. I swear to God, that's what it felt like.
1: Yeah. That's uh, I would say that's still probably the case. It, yeah. Uh, I've been on the uh, comedy store players mm-hmm. website. Cause I played there too. Yeah. And, cool. uh, you know, they have their own legends. They have their oh, own yeah. structure of legends and, and, uh, uh, who was in the building and and uh, uh, how important they were and everything else. And, yeah. Uh, you know? Did you know Cork Hubert? No. He's oh, he really? would have been
2: before John's time.
1: Yeah, I don't know him. He's a little guy, uh, but uh, at the Comedy Store regular all the time. He hung around with uh, Sam Kinnison. Oh,
0: okay. Oh, so, oh, well, I knew I was friends with Carl Above, and he was the first person when I got out to L.A. who took me to the Comedy Store. I'd never been there before, and yeah. I love. I I told him I was out in L.A. And
1: he was like, you "I think this? by
2: the time you came to L.A., Cork was gone." Cork was, yeah, I was in, yeah, was in, in there. A movie with
1: Overton. Uh, well, what's it? Uh, it's like one of these sword movies, with uh, uh, they there are two little people in it. Right. Um, actually, Overton was one of the little people. It was in someone's hands, but uh, Cork was a co-star in that.
2: Uh, 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 yeah, I don't think Cork I Cork was a co-star I, in. Um, uh, willow? Bell, the sad cafe yeah But overton was a little person in uh what's willow no, willow yeah yeah willow. Um,
0: um
2: but then cork was in the other one that was a sorty dragony thing that i can't remember wasn't he i can't remember now oh my god I just remember bell of the sad cafe he's like a Major, uh, piece Cork's of one of those guys post-target. when I
1: think of the comedy store, I think of, uh, cork and that, that whole Kinison entourage, like right. all characters. I don't know they used I'm to right. come to second city too and sit up in the balcony, wow, and, uh, make noise and we're fun. But, uh, there's yeah. a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, in all these structures, the improv too, which is a whole different, that kind of New York, uh, connection with comics. With older comics and then with, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Andy, Andy uh, Kaufman. Oh, yeah. So, Andy, you know, Rich, Michael Richards used to play the improv late at night. And uh, Kaufman had license there to do anything. Mm-hmm. So He'd drive up with Bomb Zumba. Zumba, yeah. And <laughs> he'd open the back door and roll in a, a washer and dryer. <laughs> and hook it up, and then, uh, and everyone's canceled, even Robin, right? Right. So it wasn't big then, so we'd be waiting to go on, and we'd all have to, well, Kaufman's here, so we, you know, basically our act's canceled, unless we stay here until four in the morning. Wow. But, and sometimes it was brilliant, and sometimes it was just, you're just going, why, why, you're just wasting time, you're reading Shakespeare, doing your laundry, and you're you're just uh, aggravating everybody. Right. But there's that there's a whole legendary thing within the improv too of acts like him and other acts that were always welcomed by Bud, no matter what they, time they came in, whatever sure happened. So the, you know I don't know yeah. the hierarchies, but the, that was one of them and it was very uh, very interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've had guys where we talked about that kind of stuff. I feel like the comedy store and the improv are always going to be the two clubs that sure. are. That's that's when the that's one of those rare times where I said earlier maybe they don't, but the building kind of almost supersedes. We should like see you-
1: a- Midler's husband used to have him on the show.
0: Oh, who? He was okay. one of
1: the Kipper kids. Look up the Kipper kids on YouTube. Okay, I will. It's insane. They were an insane duo. Okay. Crazy. They come up in wrestling uniforms and hold a big concave glass in front of them and <laughs> and not even speak English, just grunts and wrestling. <laughs> I mean, it had to be where Kaufman got his wrestling thing from watching the Kipper kids uh, wow. do this stuff. But he's still around. Uh, I never heard about that. Yeah, he was in the Dylan movie. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, the one... Uh, I saw uh, that. The Thunder Road or whatever. Yeah, Thunder, yeah. yeah. He plays... I don't know if he plays a manager or something in that, but he's in that. He's uh, he's tremendous. And that act was just insane just oh, to, I have to look them up i'm gonna you'll know all them. the history from all that time
0: wow My, oh, yeah, I will. yeah I mean,
1: those
0: are the those are the rooms that like i feel like just have that they're 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 just like locked in man those are those are i mean i've done the comedy store when i went out there too and it just it does feel intimidating no matter what yeah i don't understand you know it just improv has that feel
1: looser. improv was looser yeah
0: yeah i agree yeah it's weird um but again, th- would you guys want to plug your, you got a show coming up next weekend, right? Yes. It's uh what do
1: we call that show, Jane? We
2: don't call it anything. Um, it's, the, it's the fanatics the salon. We do the transformers bucket of snakes, Mr. Johnson, and a group called water brains and it's all improv all night.
0: Beautiful. For that, a, I have a
2: show running right now called the zigzag girl. We got one more show on next Sunday. Um, and Jeff teaches every Saturday, and I teach uh, writer performers. So I
1: have an online show. There's only been two episodes so far called We Pollock, and that'll probably it's an international show. We're going to add things like people from different continents doing in the same show. Nice. And so far, it's been pretty good. Uh, so, we, but we only got two done. So we'll see what happens after that. Okay, cool. Well, we'll plug all that stuff.
0: And again, thank you so much for coming on. It was a, it was right. a blast talking to you. Your both. pleasure. Right. Yep. Hope to see you That's guys. It was
2: good to see you too. Yeah, you yep. Like, good to, to see you as build. well. It, it, your actual face and stuff. I know. <laughs> I know. <I'm> just <laughs> arguing yeah. with you on yeah. Facebook. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 You know what My I gotta say? Though, opinions. We, we, yeah, I know, I know, but I love it because I feel like we both are on the same page most of the time, and then every I now and again, so, yeah. Yeah, 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 every now and again. But you always, you always kind of, you know, we, I feel like we have good conversations, and not necessarily. Yeah, you know, so
2: I don't mean to attack people. I think sometimes I come off as a, attacking, but I, I don't mean to. It's like, everybody oh, comes oh. off as attacking because we're all angry when we're posting. So when it yeah, somebody
0: can say hi, yeah. yeah, and we'll read it like, what'd you say like that for? yeah um, but yeah but i love you i've always i always um get like a little bit of a high whenever you share one of my posts because i respect you a lot and i'm always like oh, oh that's
2: sweet <laughs>
0: shared one of my posts it's very nice it's good yeah yeah it's always like that um yeah no it's just fun talking to you guys so i'll be out in la at the end of january so hopefully um oh, look us up by all means yeah, absolutely i'm gonna drop in i hope i want to see more shows and stuff and just yeah, hang out. maybe maybe you can pl- do a show Oh, I would love to. It'll be
2: a bringer, though. Just so-
0: <laughs> nice.
2: <laughs> oh, what a great way Even to Even for it. you and the audience, you have to bring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the audience, too. Oh, my God. Oh, thank you so much, guys. I love you both. A bunch of
1: homeless people under the uh, underpass.
0: At
2: the- <laughs> they could use the bathroom.
0: It'd be good. I'll bring them, too. But yeah. <laughs> I, I oh my god, for the first one of the one of the things I wish somebody had told me that I was living out. I was living in Downey at one point when I was out in California, oh. which I, yeah, it, yeah, it was all right. Um, but I went for a bike ride, and nobody at any point in time told me that I would run into just people on horseback or no. just horses. No. And I'm riding my bike down the ravine, and all of a sudden there's like, I don't know, people dressed like. I mean, I guess they were. I don't know what the fuck they are, but they were just like there was like a horse running alongside as I'm riding my bike on the thing, and I was like. Is this supposed to happen, or, <laughs> or, am, or I, am I going too far? <laughs> Are, these
1: gonna <laughs> 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 Are these horses going to spook my bike? That's what I'm titling this episode. Are these
0: horses going to spook my bike? Oh, that's so great! Thank you so much, guys. All right. All right.
1: Let's take what it. do we do? Do we you?
0: Click Thank you so much. I got you. No problem. Okay. <laughs> he's, again. He's
2: shut us off. <laughs> God <damn> it.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, this horse later. is gonna spook my bike. That fucking got <laughs> me.
2: It's Tokyo tonight.